Hi, I'm Jeffrey Reddick, and as a filmmaker of color, I'm glad that Horror Movie Podcast reached out to me about my thoughts on the current state of things with the Black Lives Matter protests and the George Floyd protest against police brutality. As a filmmaker, especially in the horror genre, but it goes across all genres, I've definitely experienced racism, honestly, for most of my career. When I started off as an actor in the 90s, the only roles that I could go up for were gangsters and basketball players and pimps, and that just showed the lack of diversity um, and the lack of work and availability to black people because of the way they were stereotyped. And I know that with starting from Final Destination 2, I worked to have a black lead for one of the Final Destination movies, and the response to that was always like, well, if it's got a black person in the lead, people will think it's a black movie and they won't go see it. And, you know, that kind of racism that's kind of brushed off as like, we're just thinking about this as a business, points to a struggle that people of color in the industry have to fight for and fight against. And the tides have started to change in the last few years, thank God. But, um, you know, on a wider scale, you know, these protests have really struck home. The positive is that we're seeing it happen around the world. And to be specific, these protests aren't anti-cop. These protests are about police brutality and the bad apples that have records of violence and still continue to work and don't get held accountable. I think the best kind of parallel to this that I can give is like when you look at certain churches that have protected pedophiles for decades with their walls of silence and move them from church to church and never made them accountable for their crimes. You know, when we're calling those people out, we're not attacking religion. We're going after the specific institution that has allowed this behavior to continue. And I have a lot of cops and military people in my family, and none of them have ever been charged with excessive violence. And they're great people and they're wonderful people. And they don't like the bad apples any more than we do. The problem is they don't feel comfortable reporting their fellow officers because of that blue wall of silence. And that's what needs to come crumbling down. And we can't let the handful of bad rioters and looters overwhelm the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world that are marching daily peacefully for change. You know, discussing race is a very touchy subject for people. You know, most people don't realize that the civil rights movement ended in 68. And up until that time, so this whole society was steeped in racist beliefs and racist practices that were taught. Racism is taught. It's not innate. And so everybody born up until 1968 was being raised with a racist worldview. And you can't change that with just a movement. You know, that's like saying women are treated equally now and get paid equally because there is a movement. No, it takes generational change. It takes talking to each other. And it also means listening to your friends of color and asking about their experiences. Because I see so many of my white relatives and I love them and they love me, but they're racist. You know, they will say horribly stereotypical things about black people and then look at me and say, but you're not like those black people. You're different. But until you have the conversations, until you stop saying, well, 2% of the population may be racist, but black people are just using it as an excuse to blame people for their problems in life. You know, until you stop that kind of bullshit argument 
and start listening to people and start listening to your friends and letting your friends know that it's safe for them to talk to you about race openly and without being judged. We're never going to get to a solution. And that's what I think these protests, that's what's different about these protests is we see people from every walk of life, every political party, every race marching together peacefully for change. And it took, sadly, another death to rip the Band-Aid off of a problem that's still very raw and very real in this country. And I do hope that these protests will make a seismic change in the way that society moves forward. I believe they will. I believe they will. And um, that's the light I see at the end of this dark tunnel. Much love to everybody and um, stay safe. to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 196 of Horror Movie Podcast, and it's brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and I'm joined by your horror hosts... Dave Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, I hope you die. Die, monster, die. You know how many times I've heard that? (laughs) Putting my kids to bed at night. (laughs) This is a Frankensteinian episode where we are bringing you feature reviews of Extraordinary, Color Out of Space, Gretel and Hansel, VFW, and... We'll also bring you some mini reviews. <laughs> All right, so so uh, I don't, I really don't know how to uh, kick this off. Uh, so wherever you want to begin, begin at the beginning. Um, since we recorded the movie review portion of the show, that's been what two about two weeks now. More than we yeah, at least that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have any news for kind of this talky segment of the show, so we just kind of skipped right ahead and went straight into our reviews. Since that time. The world has been on fire. Pretty much. And uh, everyone's perception of reality has changed. Yep. Who would have thought that would have been even possible after the corona apocalypse that it's uh, continued to evolve? We're mm-hmm. only halfway through 2020, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder. In- anyone who's taking notes out there, you might want to jot that down. Only halfway through. Right. We still got six months of this to go. <laughs> so there's been some really serious stuff going on in the world. There was a man named George Floyd who I will say was murdered. Yes, I would say that is a fair statement. And his death kicked off a resurgence of public protests under the Black Lives Matter banner and really caught on in a way that the original Black Lives Matter protests in Ferguson 
didn't. Mm-hmm. It reached a level to where this week there were protests in all 50 states protesting police violence. There was a protest in Los Angeles the other day that I think I read 50,000 people were out in the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is something that we've never seen in our lifetime. Right. And as Dave kind of put in a text to the rest of us, I don't know that anyone's waiting with bated breath to hear our reactions to any of this, (laughs) but we also felt it would be irresponsible to not say something, because when you are silent, you are making a statement of some kind. Right. Now, I do think it's okay that this podcast exists as a refuge for those who just need a break from the news and want to turn their brains off for a minute. And yes, I realize the irony that it's me saying that, the person who's always bringing politics into this discussion. (laughs) I do think that's an important component of horror and what we do here, but I also do recognize that we are not political scientists here. You know, we are three chuckleheads who like to talk about movies. And so I'd ask you to just keep that in perspective as we share our opinions about this. Yes. Also, something that was really important to us is that we wanted to reach out to our community, especially members of our community who are black, to allow our platform to be a place for them to share their thoughts and feelings, which are much more relevant than ours in a lot of ways. And so I did reach out to listeners and academics and filmmakers and fellow podcasters, and obviously I don't know the racial background of the majority of our listenership. Sure. But in the cases that I did, I did reach out to them, and not everyone responded, but everyone who did respond responded in the affirmative and were excited to be able to share their thoughts with us. So, throughout the course of this pre-recorded show, I'm going to edit in and post some of those thoughts, and those will just be intermittently between our reviews for the rest of the course of this show. I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, even if you think you might not agree with what they're going to say, maybe especially in that case. This is not some token fringe group. These are members of the HMP community who we've invited on the show. Yes. And so I hope out of respect for them and their voices, you'll give it a shot. Yes. That's kind of the setup in terms of what we're hoping (laughs) to accomplish on this episode. Now we can each say our piece, I guess. So I first, I feel like Josh, you made the comment about, you know, you occasionally want to bring politics to the table. And it seems like the older I get, the more I feel this way. I tend to be very apolitical and I tend to have a very, like in my personal private life, I'm extraordinarily cynical (laughs) about politics in general. And maybe that's being like a product of like the whole Generation X thing. I like it's it's really starting to manifest in me now. Um, But I feel like what happened to George Floyd, to what happened to Ahmed Arbery, which obviously is not related to, well, kind of, I guess, police adjacent, because I guess the guy was a retired cop. But uh, I also think that what happened to Breonna Taylor, there's a lot, and that was just three names, right? That The most recent cases where it's just wrong, full stop. You, you can't come up with anything other than it's wrong. I have very close family members that are police officers, and they will acknowledge that it is wrong, full stop. I think back to what you were saying, Josh, what these wonderful people who have been willing to share their voices on HMP are going to say, we don't have to agree with every little thing, right? I mean, that's, I think that's one of the misnomers is everybody seems to think you got to agree with every little thing, like, like we're all in like a cult or something. No, you don't, but you got to, people have a right to speak. I am one of these people who believe protests are great. I think protest, that's, that is what this country's about, man. And I, I think all, whether I agree, even honestly, if I don't agree with it, I mean, there's a lot of people that were very upset, like during the uh, lockdown situation, there were people out protesting, right? 
They had the right to do it. Whether you agree with their premise or not is a whole different discussion, but they have a right to do it. And the people who are doing it now have a right to do it. So I am actually very excited. I, I think I've made no bones about the fact that I don't typically listen to any shows that I'm on. <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I'm not the one uh, jibber jabbering, I am very willing to, uh, to listen. And that is probably one of the biggest things that this has helped me take stock of, which is talk less, listen more. Excellent. Yeah, I, and I agree. I, you know, everything you said, I agree as far as the protests. And yes, and I, I don't I try to stay away from politics as, as much as I can. And I don't just because I'm uncomfortable in that. I mean, I don't think my opinions of movies and horror movies make me an expert in anything along those lines. And people aren't listening to the show for that. So I stay away from it as much as I can. That said, this whole thing with 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 George Floyd, I have people very close to me who are on the ultra right and also on the ultra left. And there's not a single one of them who weren't just appalled and horrified by what happened. And I think that's very interesting that this is this is not a political thing. I mean, this is this is a human thing. I mean, that was murder. It really was just straight up murder. And it was awful. And I always go back to when I, I years ago, back in the mid 90s, I did genealogical research. And I came across something that just changed my perception of just people in general and and how you perceive the people around you. And I remember I was so excited one day I found my an eighth great grandparent and I was like, oh, this is great. This is this is so exciting. I found one of my eighth great grandparents back in the 1720s. I even stood at their grave and I said, geez, let me see that. Now, that that's pretty good. Let's see how many more eighth great grandparents do I have to find now? You know, and, and I did the research. I'm like, OK, wow, I found one and I've got one thousand and twenty three to go. And that kind of woke me up. I was kind of like, OK. You know, if you think about it, you have two parents, four grandparents, eight great grandparents, and you go forward. So when you get to eighth great grandparents, you got a thousand and twenty four of them. I was like, wow, a thousand and twenty four people that you're directly descended from that were living back in the 1720s. Well, that kind of spurred me a little bit. And I, I went a little further back. And you know what? It's funny because I wanted to go back all the way to Henry the second who reigned in the 1100s, and, and this was the two movies, Beckett uh, from 1964 and 1968, The Lion in Winter, both played by Peter O'Toole. He played Henry II in both of them. I loved and I said, how many people were walking the earth back in the 1160s, I said. So what I did was I, I just, figuring 30 years per generation, you know, from the time a child is born to they have their own children, average of about 30 years. I've seen some say 25, but I went with 30. Back in that time, it would have been my 26th great-grandparents, 268,435,456 of them. That's 268 million people that I and every living person on this planet is directly descended from. Mm -hmm. There were only 68 million people in Europe at that time. And that's another 200 million above that. Now... You know, there are variables. When cousins marry, they have similar, you know, grandparents and it kind of narrows the line down. Because if you think about it, if you go back five generations from there, you're higher than the population of the entire planet. But it really made me think for a minute. When you're looking at another race or you're looking at, at, at another group and uh, putting yourself above them, 
When you're talking numbers like that, you can't possibly know where all of these people came from. I mean, this is, I'm only going back to the 1160s here, okay? Now, that's not even a thousand years. And you're descended. Every living person on this planet is descended from 260, over 268 million people who walked the earth at that time. Again, even if it's a tenth of that number, 26 million people, how can you know where they all came from? And I actually came across, discovered something in my family. And I was putting all of my relatives into this database. I thought, wow, this is really cool. And I came across a guy who in the 1940s, and he was born in Pennsylvania here in the farm country, got a bit adventurous, went to Indonesia, married an indigenous Indonesian woman, had Indonesian children. They married indigenous Indonesians, so forth. So in the 2004 tsunami, I more than likely had blood relatives who suffered during that. And you don't think about that, you know, when right. you, you don't think about that your, your relatives extend out like that or, or that you could possibly. But when you think about these numbers and that every person on earth has that many ancestors, racism isn't just reprehensible. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense because George Floyd and, and, and the cops, they may have had similar ancestors. You can't possibly know. When you get, even if you go back to the 1,024, how can you account for all of them being of one race or one group of people? You can't do it. So uh, from that time period, I've just never really been able to grasp racism in general or treating other people in a different way. And that was just my experience with that. And, and it's continued to this day. And it just, it's heart wrenching to see this sort of thing go on when you get to the point that at some period in time, we're all descended from the same group of people. I don't see how you can escape that reality. That's an interesting perspective, Dave. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I this has been extremely emotional for me in a lot of different ways. Racism is something that's touched my life my entire life. And I am very politically active and probably as active as you can be without being an activist. And I'm not cynical about politics, even though there are legitimate reasons to be. You know, parties will always disappoint you. A candidate can disappoint you. It's not safe to have heroes in the world that we live in right now because, you know, nobody's perfect as we're learning. But I think that what I've seen over the last several years is it's really important to participate. Even the lesser of two evils can make a huge difference in the practicalities of our daily lives. And of course, it's always mattered. Even looking back to the 60s and 70s and the waves of feminism and civil rights that were happening at that time, This was not some amorphous thing. This was directly related to how we were treating people in our society. And the women's liberation movement at that time had a phrase that was a rallying cry for them, which was, the personal is political. Mm -hmm. Policy plays a role in our daily lives. And there are things like how policemen are vetted and trained and funded that matter in moments like this. Those policies are quote-unquote politics. You know, they're going to come up in a vote, either a public vote or a vote by one of our representatives. But those things affect our daily life, and they have an impact on real human beings, as they did recently for Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Now, if you're one of those people that's out there going like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of this topic. I don't even want to hear anything about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I get it. I think what's so useful about this moment is showing everyone how tiring racism can be. It's exhausting. But avoiding it because we're uncomfortable doesn't make it go away. 
Because if this is going to end peacefully, if it's going to end without bloodshed, if we don't want this to end in disaster, it is really only white people that can end white supremacy. By the way, it's not just black people and brown people who are freed when white supremacy ends. It's white people too. There's nobody out there that wants to hear you're the problem. And if all these things that I'm talking about are rubbing you the wrong way, I'd just ask you to examine why that is. What I'm very much not saying is that there's anything wrong with you if you're a cis, straight, white male. You're fine. I'm also not saying you're not struggling. You may have been through some terrible things in life. White privilege does not mean that a white person hasn't faced any hardships. It means that being white didn't add to those hardships. You can be white and have problems, but being white isn't the problem. Hmm. You know, and, um, you know, there was an interesting comment I saw by Roxanne Gay on Twitter. She says, we will live with the knowledge that a hashtag is not a vaccine for white supremacy. The rest of the world yearns to get back to normal for black people. Normal is the very thing from which we yearn to be free. Hmm. Wow. Getting back to normal for the rest of us might sound great, but that can't happen. We need to each mobilize. And this is the most cliche of truisms. It's not enough to not be racist. You have to be active in your anti-racism. This shouldn't be black versus white. It shouldn't be Republicans versus Democrats. This is about everybody against racists. And I hope that's the spirit with which we can move forward from this. I, you know, change has to happen and we can't be complacent about it. Right. Absolutely. When I reached out to black members of our horror community, I asked them if there is a way to tailor your comments directly to horror fans think that might be helpful and not everyone took me up on that of course they were not required to do that but i felt like those who did do that it was actually a pretty useful way to discuss these things and so i would like to do that myself here for just a minute mm. and i'd like to do that by talking about one of the deaths that affects me most in the entire history of horror and that's rob's death in friday the 13th the final chapter there's a shift in that film at the point of rob's death where we go from doing our typical slasher thing of rooting for the killer. And especially in that film, I think this is the best version of Jason. You know, this is the first film that's really that Jason juggernaut that I grew up loving. And of course we get him again in part six and part seven and eight and, and on and on. But this is the, really the first movie that it's the Jason I love. And so I'm rooting for the monster for most of this film. But then there's this moment in the basement where this character Rob, who's not one of the teens there to party and defile crystal Lake. He's there to find his missing sister. And he's killed in this extremely unique way for the Friday the 13th franchise where it's not about the blood and guts or the creative kills. He's just murdered and he yells out. He's killing me. And it always struck me how personal that felt because it's so different. It can even take you out of the movie you could almost laugh, but the more I think about it, the more it haunts me. And I was reading an article by a guy named Jason Parker from FridayThe13thFranchise.com, and he was talking about why the filmmakers made that choice. Basically, that the film wants you to make this switch between the killer that you're rooting for, and then, by the end of the film, get you rooting for Corey Feldman to kill Jason and have him have his comeuppance. This is the final chapter, after all. 
the audience's rooting interests have to change. And so by killing Rob the way that they do, you see him as a real person. And the he's killing me line, this is, I, I don't I don't mean to make light of this. This is literally what came to mind when I was reading the text of George Floyd's final words. <sighs> He said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Claustrophobic. My stomach hurts. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. They're going to kill me, man. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Please, sir. And at one point, a couple times, he calls out for his mother, who most of us who follow the news know, his mother's passed away. And to me, that's significant that a grown man, 46 years old, is calling out to his mom, who he knows isn't there. That's real life horror. And, um, you know, that's a downer, but that's the world we're living in right now. And I, I, again, I hope you'll listen to these voices from our community as we go through the rest of this episode. Try to listen to these reviews that we that we're providing, and I hope you have fun. But um, let's not gloss over it. You know, I probably um, got up on a soapbox, and I apologize for that. But for the context that we're in, I could not be silent on the one platform I have to talk about this. Well, I, I will say this. I mean, you know, I don't go like knee deep into politics or anything like that. I'd say for what I know about you, you and I are probably not completely. Some things we are. I think some things we're in line on. But, you know, I, de I definitely probably lean more to the right than you do. OK, let's just lay it out there. That said, I want you to know how much I appreciate you saying what you said. Mm -hmm. I really I that it was your vulnerability and honesty are really appreciated from my perspective. And I just want you to know that as your friend, like I'm being just legit right now. I mean, regardless of whether yeah. you keep this in the show or not, I'm letting you know, I want you to yeah. know that. I, I agree a hundred percent. I was, I was just sort of, you know, letting you have that, but it, I, I could tell, and obviously how important it is to you and it should be as important, I think to everyone. So it, it needed to be said. Yeah, no, I understand. And right. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, there's not going to be any smooth way to transition out of this, so we'll normalize discomfort and just move straight into our future reviews. <laughs> Remember to watch out for those words from our community members. I should thank Jeffrey Reddick. He was the voice you heard opening the show. He's a screenwriter and producer behind the Final Destination franchise. Films like Dead Awake, The Night Sitter, The Final Wish. He was also an HMP Horror Cinema Awards juror for us previously. I want to thank Mr. Reddick for his contribution to the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeffrey A. Reddick. Please find the link in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. And now, our pre-recorded feature review of Extraordinary. Why don't we see ghosts every day? Ugh, leave me alone. Most hauntings are so small, they go unnoticed. Hi, this is Rose's driving school. Maybe you could have a chat with my daughter, just to find out what's up with her. My name is Martin. No. What is evil? <laughs> Coming, my sweet. I'm doing an incantation. No. 
in bed and make me bloody rich. Yes. This is a satanic ritual. Satanists. I woke up in the morning. To break the spell, we need ectoplasm. You just have to let the ghost inhabit your body. Like in Ghostbusters. Oh, I haven't read that. The plot thickens. Why does it have to be so unnecessarily gross? That magic! Ordinary. It is a 2020 film here in the United States. It was directed by Mark Ahern and Edna Lohman. And it is a story about a young lady named Rose, who, uh, as it says on IMDb, a mostly sweet and lonely Irish driving instructor. Uh, her father has passed away. And her father was a well-known spiritualist. And she was kind of his ghost-busting partner. And they would go out on these jobs together. And during one such job, she accidentally killed her father with her, what they call talents, um, unintentionally. And, um, and so this film finds her several years later, where she's now a, a driving instructor in a small Irish town. And she's being asked to use her talents again to save a young girl in the village. And it's very funny. It looks like it takes place in like the... 90s sometime. I don't think a time period is ever actually given. Um, the film stars the very funny Maeve Higgins, who plays the main character of Rose. It also has Will Forte in a hilarious role of a one-hit wonder rock star attempting to sell his soul to the devil, and he's kind of the impetus for all of the action that takes place in the movie. He's really funny. And then Barry Ward is also in it and is incredible in the film. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a horror comedy. I would say it feels very much like a Taika Waititi, Jared Hess type of film. If you're familiar with Eagle versus shark or any of Jared Hess's films, he's obviously best known for like Napoleon dynamite and Nacho Libre, but this one felt like gentlemen Broncos. If you've seen gentlemen Broncos, this is like feels exactly like gentlemen Broncos, but with strong horror elements in it and it's it's very funny it, you know taika tt and jermaine clement they've created an entire universe with their what we do in the shadows world which uh, i'm going to talk about a little bit later in the show but they've not only did they do the film what we do in the shadows they have the series spinoff that's had two seasons in the u.s they have the film we're wolves that they're still planning on making they have a television series in new zealand called wellington paranormal and all of these kind of supernatural films and series take place in their same universe. And this feels like it would be part of their universe as well. Um, it feels very much in that style. And also Will Forte is kind of in that crew because he's in, he's in Jared Hess's crew. And so is um, Jermaine Clement. So I wonder if they're just kind of inspired by each other in that way. But it, it was very funny. If you like that style of comedy, this is not a found footage faux documentary style like what we do in the shadows but it is very much that type of comedy kind of anti-comedy in a lot of ways and it was very funny and and i would give them credit they didn't um there are some jokes at the expense of the horror in the sense that they're kind of joking about it but the horror actually plays real like there's a scary 
demon. The people are floating off the ground. Their body parts are exploding. Like they, they kind of went there with the gore and I thought they did a really good job. It's, it's a very enjoyable, I would say kind of light horror comedy. And uh, if you, if you like that kind of indie comedy vibe, then I think you'll enjoy this as well. What was that movie? I believe it was Australian. I could be wrong. I think I feel like House is in the title. I'm completely brain farting on the rest. Oh, Homebound. Homebound. That's it. Thank you. Which I never it saw felt, and I wanted to. Yeah. Is it like that? Yeah. Yeah. This feels a lot like Homebound as well. You okay. Know, that's definitely. In fact, when I as soon as I finished watching this, I looked up Homebound because I felt I thought oh, I feel like revisiting that. Okay. Uh, but it's not currently available, at least on. Um, Amazon. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had wanted to watch Homebound, and see, here's the thing: I am a horror comedy fan. Okay, and I know not everyone yeah. is, so I, I realize to each his own. But I am, and I really wanted to see that. But my wife sort of humors me with stuff like that, and and it's funny because I know a lot of folks, their significant other, you know, wants nothing to do with horror or whatever. But in my case, you know, my wife will actually watch a lot of horror. I mean, she loves The Exorcist. She loves stuff like that. But when it's these sort of goofy horror comedy type movies, she humors me. She'll let me. I still haven't gotten to see Bad Milo. I, I, like every time I, it comes up on our <laughs> queue, I'm like, come on, honey. It's a butt demon. She's like, no, I'd rather watch <laughs> virtually anything else. So, you know, when you when you share the the TV, you know, with, with your significant other, it is yeah. what it is. But uh, I've always wanted to see Homebound and I saw the trailer for this and I think it looks great. So. Uh, thank I you should for say, it is it. Housebound. I apologize. Oh, Housebound? Okay. I thought House was in the yeah. title. I just couldn't remember the rest of it. So, yeah, great. Yeah, and, and Housebound is also a uh, New Zealand film. So, it okay. kind of fits in that Taika Waititi world. I don't know if that's just what New Zealand humor is like generally or if they were influenced by kind of their local stars. But sure. this has a very similar feel to that. And I would also say that and especially Extraordinary are very different from Bad Milo. Like, I feel like your wife could watch extraordinary and probably enjoy it there's yeah. kind of like some relationship stuff there there's some romantic comedy stuff there it's it's not like bad milo is a butt demon this is just <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe that wasn't this the best example the story of a possessed girl who's lost her father and is dealing with you know trying to rekindle her talents while also maybe go down a romantic path at the same and time. it might and it might be just because they're both shot in the same area i'm assuming mm -hmm. but the other thing that came to mind was the frighteners yeah, it's not as um, bold as that. I okay. think uh, Peter Jackson's style of comedy is very much in your face. Sure. Maybe more even in the bad Milo vein. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I do think Housebound and particularly Extraordinary and what we do in the shadows, they have a more muted anti-comedy kind of vibe. I mean, it really is like in that Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, which she's lo she, lo she loves that. So I'll, I'll convince her based on that. I'll tell her, I think Napoleon Dynamite, but, you know, with supernatural stuff. It's silliness. Okay. It's very silly. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. But All yeah, right. some really fun uh, supernatural elements, I think. And I really like the way they pulled off the satanic rights element of the film as well. It's not like going to make my top 10 list. Probably like if it did, it would be an honorable mention or toward the bottom of the list at the rate, it is at the rate we're going, Josh. <laughs> That's with true. Movies. With the amount of releases we have this year, yeah. it, it, it may well. But I'm just right. saying it's not like that caliber. It's kind of forgettable. But if you like kind of low-key comedies, it's definitely worth checking out. I would probably give this one a 7.5, mm. and I would call it a rental. And that, yeah, it's oh. very enjoyable. I am making this one a priority. I know I always say that, and then things happen. I never get to anything. But <laughs> I actually really want to see this. So, <laughs> Excellent. 
Okay, at this point in the show, we have the audio submission from Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman. She's a professor of communications at Texas A&M, author of the book Horror Noir, Blacks in American Horror Films, which was the basis of the documentary for which she was also an executive producer, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Black history is black horror. In the documentary Horror Noir, the award-winning author and UCLA instructor, Tanana Reeve Du, is the one who speaks these powerful words. Black history is black horror. When Tanana Reeve proclaims black history is black horror, she is talking about both a long-ago past and a temporal moment that is a millisecond old. For example, Tanana Reeve is recalling a century-old horror. She is recalling Sam Hose of Georgia, who was lynched in 1899 after false accusations of rape. She is reminding us of Amadou Diallo from New York, who, two decades ago in 1999, was killed by police. They fired on him with semi-automatic weapons as he returned to his apartment from dinner. The police claimed mistaken identity. Tanana Reeve is recalling the more recent 2009 police murder of Oscar Grant, who was shot in the back while laying still and prone on the ground. And then there is our moments ago black history that is black horror. Ahmaud Avery lynched by shooting February 23, 2020. Ahmad was denied the right to jog. Brianna Taylor murdered March 13, 2020 by police. Brianna was denied the right to sleep. George Floyd murdered May 25, 2020 by police. George was denied the right to breathe. Horror films have long anticipated and reflected on these themes. The 1934 film, Chloe, Love is Calling You, centers on the lynching of a black man laboring on a turpentine plantation. It shows how extra-legal murder upends families. The 1975 film, Welcome Home, Brother Charles, also released under the title Soul Vengeance, is an unflinching look at police brutality. It reveals how black people their health, emotional state, and employment prospects are tragically impacted in the long term by such violence. And then there is Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's 1968 cult classic horror movie. More than 50 years after its release, the film remains a powerful social syllabus. It teaches us how our lack of caring for one another makes us more monstrous than remorseless, flesh-eating zombies. On April 4, 1968, Romero was driving from Pittsburgh to New York City with Night of the Living Dead in the trunk of his car. He was going to New York to get distribution for the film. While in the car, Romero heard the news. Civil rights leader and Nobel Peace Prize recipient Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. 
the Night of the Living Dead stars Ben, a heroic, non-stereotypical black male lead in a non-quote-unquote black movie, suddenly felt powerful. He felt significant. That Ben emerges as the take-charge leader among a group of whites seemed like an homage to real-life leaders like Dr. King. That Ben survived a bloody night of zombie attacks only to be murdered by a militia of white police and citizens turned Night of the Living Dead into a shocking realism. The horror genre is fascinating if for no other reason than it prides itself on exposing our cruelties. The genre reveals how far we are willing to go in our treatment of those who we deem a threat or less than. It exposes what happens when lack of civility and lack of respect grows and festers. We become the monsters. Horror films are truly our morality tales. They foreshadow what happens when the worst in us, narcissism, hate, greed, discrimination, sociopathy, is left unchecked. Black history is black horror. Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd would say that the present is black horror as well. My name is Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman. I am author of Horror Noir, and I am co-executive producer of Horror Noir, the documentary. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman. You can follow her on Twitter, at Means Coleman. And you can find her book, Horror Noir, booksellers around the country, including Amazon.com. We have links in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. And now we'll move into our pre-recorded feature review for Gretel and Hansel. A fairy tale has a way of getting into your head, even before you hear it. Somehow you just know it. And it always went like this. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm called Gretel, and this rough one here is my brother Hansel. Ouch! Tell me how you came to be in my woods. There's too much, and it isn't right. You're scared. There's something wrong here. Careful, dear. I'd hate for you to start something you can't stop. Okay, Gretel and Hansel, 2020. This one directed by uh, Oz Perkins, who also directed... Black Coat's Daughter. I love Black Coat's Daughter, actually. I, yeah. I do, too. Yeah. I really Fantastic. Do too. I really did love the atmosphere of this movie. This feels like a fairy tale on film. The setup here, and of course, there's a reason why Gretel's name is listed first. In this one, she's older and is taking care of her younger brother. Gretel goes out to get a job. Uh, it doesn't work out. So her mother throws both her and Hansel out of the house. And they're left to fend for themselves. They go out into the woods. They meet a huntsman who tells them, you know, stay on the path and you'll be okay. Well, while on the path, they come across a house. Uh, They peek in the window and there is a buffet set up. Hansel ends up 
going into the house and they are met by an old lady who's very bizarre, could be kindly, might be a little sinister. They're not 100% sure. Most of the movie then is set inside the house. I'd say probably the last two thirds of the movie. Gretel is played by um, Sophia Lillis, who, of course, was Beverly in uh, It Chapter One. Um, right. She's great in this. She's she's excellent. But at first, she doesn't trust the old lady. And then uh, Hansel is like, no, let's stay here. The food is great. We got to stay here. Uh, then Hansel starts to mistrust the old lady at the same time that Gretel is warming up to her because what it is is this older woman is saying, hey, you have something special just like I do. I can nurture you with this. Almost setting up that that Gretel might be a witch as well. Oz, Oz Perkins, and it's the, that's sort of the way he shot a black coat's daughter, as if holding back a little bit, you know, that, that we're in the world, but he's holding just a little bit back. He's not giving us everything um, to sort of build up where it's going to go. And anyone who's familiar with Hansel and Gretel has an idea of where it's going to go. But yet there's enough of a left turn in in the film ultimately that that it does still take you a little bit by surprise. And also Alice Krieg plays the old woman and obviously credited as witch in the film. And the the, the seeds between her and Gretel, I think, are are really, really strong. And it's just interesting to see how the Gretel character is at first distrustful and then sort of warms up to the witch. But for this one, it really is the atmosphere. I'm, I'm really getting to enjoy Oz Perkins as a director. Oh, I'm looking him up on IMDb. It turns out his screen debut was in Psycho 2 mm-hmm. as a young Norman, yep. which I guess makes sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, seeing as he's Anthony Perkins' son. I don't know. I just I was really, really impressed with this one. It pulled me into the world, and it really is just a fairy tale world and a very dark. I mean, this is almost like what you think of when you think of like dark fairy tales. This would be about as dark as it gets with where the story goes. And there are some legitimate horror elements. I mean, every night uh, Gretel is having these nightmares uh, and it has to do with the house and sometimes, you know, wandering out into the house and, and, and sometimes Hansel is involved. Hansel disappears for some, for a while there. And we're not sure what happened to him. Um, a lot of the, there's, there's a good deal going on in here, but again, it's just set in that world. And I think Oz Perkins, I think does a really great job of creating that, that fairy tale, that dreamlike world, but yet grounding it in darkness, you know, keep keeping the dark elements really strong. And, and I was impressed with this one. I mean, if it's so easy to compare it to a movie like the witch, but I compare it also to the black coat's daughter. I think this would be a good companion piece for that one. Hmm. Um, and again, Sophia Lillis, I thought, uh, did a great job. She's the lead throughout the entire movie and she did a great job front and center here. sounds really interesting to me. I remember seeing the advertising materials early on and being like, wow, that looks intense. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I just kind of fell off my radar probably (laughs) due to what's been going on in the world. And uh, I just, yeah, I kind of forgot about it to be honest. And I never realized, or maybe I forgot that Oz Perkins was the director, but yeah, you really have sold me on it for sure. Yeah. Cool. I'd be anxious to hear what you guys think of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I The main reason I wanted to see this initially was because I knew that Perkins had directed it. And I remember when it came out and we were about, because it came out late January, I think is when it came out in theaters around mm-hmm. that time. And I had heard mixed things about it. And I sort of had the attitude at the time because my wife and I, you know, we get to the theater when we can, but you know, it's not all the time. So I wanted to, you know, hold that one in my back pocket. It's like, okay, well, if it's just in case it's not, 
great, great. I'll wait and rent it. And then, of course, the world, the last couple of months happened. And right. it, I know it ended up on VOD, but it seemed like for a long time there, I would check and it was for sale. And again, didn't know that I wanted to make the investment. <laughs> Plus, if I'm going to buy this one, I'm hoping it would have extras on it. I'd rather get the Blu-ray. So uh, I was waiting. I think it is for rent now. I think you can rent it on Amazon you know, for $4.99 or whatever it is. So I am glad to hear you liked it. And honestly, I was going to go into this expecting more of an art film than a, a which is in a way I think a lot of reasons why people who didn't like Black Coat's Daughter because I felt like that it was very it had that vibe to it and I think a lot of people might have been expecting something else the people who really hated it maybe I'm wrong but that was my attitude going into this just because it looks beautiful I mean just it, it reminds me of I, I almost think of like a, I don't know if it's encaustic painting where they use like the beeswax and it has that those mm -hmm. a lot of times those yellows and it's just and there's something about the look and the feel of this work in particular but all the things he's done that i've seen so far they're just really the cinematography is gorgeous i mean it's just beautifully shot i mean you could see people considering it an art film but i think there is enough just like with black coat's daughter there's enough of the horror sure. in it for fans of the genre but i mean it, you could make the case yeah there, there are it definitely has that vibe of an art house film. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I, th I think you're right. I think Black Coat's Daughter did have that same sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to Looking at it. our listeners who I'm connected with on Letterboxd, of the 22 who have rated the film, um, a couple of them didn't like it. There are two here I see that didn't like it. But the majority of them gave it a six or up. And a couple of them gave it like eights, nines, tens. So Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's really great. So Dave, what is your uh, rating? You know, I'm, I'm going to give this one, uh, I'm going to go with an 8.5 nice. and definitely say it's worth picking up. You know, if, if it, uh, it's worth, um, well, definitely worth renting and um, definitely have an option to buy because I do want to see this one again. Absolutely. And you got this on Blu-ray, right? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I realized that was yeah. like, the mo <laughs> <laughs> there was, that should have just been a rhetorical question. Right. Yeah, right. Does it have extras on it? I wanted to ask you that. Oh, I want to check. You know what? I should have it here, and I don't have the Blu-ray here with me. At least commentary. I was getting so frustrated. I feel like all the blue, not all, because I mean, when I get like special edition ones and stuff, they always have a bunch of stuff. But they just the sort of the mainstream ones. I know sometimes you get and it says, "Oh, new features," and then it's like a four-minute deleted uh, scene in a trailer. You're like, yeah, really? Yeah, or okay, something like great. that. We're back in that world when DVDs would first come out. Remember that was like the big extra you get is a trailer. Yay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and scene access. Oh, yeah. Scene access. That was always a big feature. Mm -hmm. Up next, we have comments from two podcasters who I mostly know from the social media horror community. Up first is Damon Himes. He's one of the hosts of Get Out the Room Horror Podcast. And his comments will be followed by Tanya Ransom, who's the creator and executive producer of Nightlight Horror Fiction Podcast. What's going on, my people? It's your boy Dave from Get Out the Room. Yo, man, uh, just want to spend a little time with y'all. Can, can I talk to my people? What's going on, horror community? I know the world is changing around us right now. We, uh, we're we all feeling like we're sitting in the middle of history, right? And the things that spark this change, to some of us, feel scary. They feel different. You know, and I just kind of want to spend a little, little bit of time with y'all. Let's talk through it. Let's write for a minute, right? George Floyd was killed by a police officer. He is the latest in the line of unarmed black men to be killed by police officers. And it sparked 
a movement within this nation. I'm not really sure why this one tends to be different. It could be COVID, you know, the, the idea that there are no other distractions. All we have to focus on is this. The world cannot hide. You cannot stuff your head in the sand this time. You got to watch this one. So I know you're hearing lots of words. You hear white supremacy. You hear defund the police. You're hearing white privilege. You're hearing all sorts of things like that. So let me tell you. Don't let those words. Don't let that discomfort stop you from being on the right side of history. You have an opportunity right now. To listen. Listen. Really listen to your black friends, man. Listen to that dude at the office that you know is cool. You talk sports with. Don't listen with the intent of getting an answer to something that you've brought to this conversation. Listen with the intent of hearing what they have to say. As horror fans, we tend to see things a little differently anyway, right? We see folks get limbs lost or, you know, ghosts coming and taking bodies. We don't blink an eye. I imagine it was very difficult for some of us to sit and watch a video of a man with a knee on his neck for close to nine minutes while with his dying breath, he called out for his mother who had been dead for two years as a black man, as a father of two black boys, as the husband of a white female police officer. This shit put me in a real tough place, man. You know, and let me tell you, it, it wasn't even George Floyd that broke me. It was Peter Frieda Odia. This cat from Connecticut, right? He killed somebody with a samurai sword, broke into somebody else's house, stole some shotguns, killed another person, kidnapped the girlfriend, went on, you know, three state spree. And they took him in unharmed. So let's look at the juxtaposition for a minute. You had a man who was armed and dangerous and he was managed to be taken unharmed. Meanwhile, you had a young man who was only suspected of defrauding $20, which turned out to be not true. And he lost his life. So when you hear the term Black Lives Matter and white privilege... These are the things that you should be thinking about. The police officer that sat on and put his knee on George's neck did not value his life enough to do what we all know is right. So I'm not saying that this is easy for anybody. I don't want you to believe that it is because I know it's not. Some folks are seeing the way that they look, the lens that they've looked at this world through and is changing in front of them rapidly. The world that they've spent their entire lives in is now kind of shifting around them in a way that they're probably not particularly ready for. You know, as a black man in this country, I've lived in a different world than some of you. Some of the other folks on Get Out the Room feel the same way. We live in a constant state of fear and rage that we may end up like George Floyd one day. 
we have to explain to our children that this is a reality of being black in this world. When you hear these things, try not to shy away. Try not to be defensive. Hear them. And try and be on the right side of history, man. Black lives matter. Representation matters. Even in films. Look, we, we laugh and joke and talk about the fact that the black guy always dies first, right? I, at this point, you know, as long as we in the film, we with it. Uh, but all jokes aside, shout out to Horror Movie Podcast for giving us this platform to talk. Reach out to y'all for a little bit. It's incredibly gracious of them. These cats, they, they got their heads on. They want to be on the right side of history. So we appreciate it. Get out the room. Hey, man. We love y'all. Black Lives Matter. Listen to your friends. Peace. Hi, this is Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast that features creepy tales written by black writers all over the world and performed by black actors. The events of the last couple of weeks are not new to me. As a black person in America, I have always experienced racism. In fact, one of my earliest encounters with racism was with my own grandmother. You see, I'm mixed. My mom is white. My dad was black. They knew early on that they were going to have to prepare me for experiencing racism at the hands of someone who should love me unconditionally. I remember having a talk with my mom when I was maybe three years old. I was sitting in her lap, and she had that conversation with me. She said that some people wouldn't like me because my parents weren't the same color, and that other people wouldn't like me because I was black. I didn't know at that time that one of the people that she was referring to was her own mother. When I was nine... I finally worked up the courage to ask my mom why my dad never got to come visit grandma's house with us when we went. And my mom finally decided to explain to me that it was because she didn't believe that it was right for my mom to be married to my dad, and she didn't believe that it was right for them to have had kids together. That it was a sin, and that they would go to hell for it, and that we would go to hell, my sister and I, for being mixed that it was against God's will. Sadly, despite what many people say, racism is alive and well, and because of it, I don't know my maternal grandmother. I grew up with one grandmother, and I lost her when I was 14 years old. My maternal grandmother is still alive, but I don't know her, I don't speak to her, nor do I care to. If she can't love me for who I am regardless of the color of my skin, then she doesn't get to be part of my life. I made peace with that a long time ago, but racism for a lot of Americans, especially in the last couple of weeks, is something that is new to them. They didn't realize the extent of it, or they didn't realize how it could cost people their lives or their livelihoods. And luckily, our country is now trying to take action to correct something that has been wrong for hundreds of years. I find horror readers, fans, and writers to be some of the most empathetic people I have ever met, and I am very hopeful that the horror community will help lead the effort to combat racism in our country and in the world. 
So I would like to thank this podcast for the opportunity to speak out about my experience and to ask you what you have done today to try to understand someone else's experience that's different from yours. Thank you. Thanks so much to Tanya and Damon for their comments. Make sure to check out the Get Out the Room Horror Podcast. There's a link in the show notes. You can also follow Damon on Twitter at Day21, that's D-A-E-0-2-1. And follow Get Out the Room on Twitter at Get Out the Room. They also have a Facebook page. Again, all the links are at our site. Also, thanks so much to Tanya Thompson Ransom. Make sure you check out the Fiction Horror Podcast Nightlight. It's excellent. You can check out Miss Ransom on Twitter at Miss Define. And follow Nightlight on Twitter at NightlightPod. Now we'll move into our pre-recorded feature review of Color Out of Space. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. Kind of like my last one, this may be more of a mini-review. I don't have a ton to say about it. Partially with this one, because I there's a part of me that wants to hold on until we can get Carl Cederholm back on the show <laughs> and talk a more cinema of the weird. This is a film directed by Richard Stanley, for those of you who didn't know. I, again, had either forgotten or never knew in the first place that this was a Richard Stanley film. This is his first fictional film he's directed since the whole island of dr moreau debacle i know um if anyone isn't familiar with that definitely check out the documentary about it it's called lost soul the doomed journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau that is an insane (laughs) that is a great documentary too did you guys did you guys ever see the uh dr moreau that frankenheimer took over the the one that he did Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I was. I think I saw it in. What year did that come out? Was it ninety six? Six. Okay. So I was. I think I was either working in the theater at that point, but I know I saw it in the theater. I, I don't know what I was seeing, but I think it may have been early on when I first started working in the theater. And actually, Hardware. His. I remember going to see Hardware when I was in high school uh, in the theater. Hardware, I remember. Yeah. Hardware, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Hardware and Dust Devil. Dust Devil. Were, yep. were awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Yeah. I. I. I'm really. 
really anticipating your review. I almost tried. I tried to get this one in before we recorded, but you know, time being what it is, and you know, when you're all, yeah, I, I use this as an excuse, but truthfully, it's my life, even pre-pandemic, which was you know when my family's always together in the same house. This a, I assume, being that it's a Richard Stanley movie, was not one I could watch with my children around, and B was probably not one my wife would dig. So <laughs> I was like, crap, and, and I did want to watch it on my phone. Like the, this seems to me like a movie I would really feel bad about watching on my phone so uh i i figured i'd wait to hear what your review of it was wolfman yeah i mean it's definitely worth watching i've heard almost nonstop praise of this film ever since it came out when it was at fantastic fest i actually heard a lot more mixed reviews than i have since it's come out since then i think you know it's a spectrovision film which is Elijah Wood's company, and we love, obviously. And they also brought us Mandy in part. There were co-producers on Mandy, which was Nicolas Cage's big hit film before this. And so I think um, my expectations were pretty high. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was thinking, oh, boy, here we go. Spectrovision, Nicolas Cage, H.P. Lovecraft, the color pink and purple. <laughs> like the, and, and much like that film, this film is awash with color. Unlike that film, this is that's really the point of this movie. This is an H.P. Lovecraft tale that intends to show something like an alien invasion in the most alien form we can imagine, which is not embodied in a typical earthly form. In this movie, it's color. It's kind of this thing, and and there Tommy Chong is in the film and gives an amazing performance, by the way. And he has a line where he's talking about how, you know, it's in the humidity in the air. It's, it's out there. Now it's in here. It's kind of like the force, right? It surrounds mm-hmm. us. It penetrates us. <laughs> but I love that concept for an alien invasion film, especially in our pandemic times. It feels kind of viral. And it's this alien that comes in on a meteorite that lands in this family's farm. And Nicolas Cage is the father of this family. And uh, this is a classic H.P. Lovecraft tale by the way it's based on his short story the color out of space Mm -hmm. and we've seen in the past a lot of films based on this material i referenced the one earlier in the film die monster die with boris karloff um, is the one i'm most familiar with of the adaptations Uh, at the time i didn't even realize it was an hp lovecraft story when i first saw die monster die Um, dave was talking about he had seen the curse which is directed by david keith actually and that film stars will wheaton and john yeah. schneider Claude classic Atkins. yeah yeah <laughs> that that's also the same story essentially mm-hmm. uh, it's it's based on the same hp lovecraft short story so if you've seen the curse or die monster die you kind of know what you're getting here i would also say if you saw annihilation with natalie portman which we talked about on our weird episode with carl cederholm this is that same type of cosmic horror and annihilation borrows heavily from the source material. This is, I don't know, it's very interesting. Now, this film obviously does not have the budget of something like Annihilation, but you're dealing with a lot of similar ideas where the threat is kind of unclear. It's something in the air. It's something with this light and color, and it's mutating the plant life around us it's mutating the animal life around us and it's having a devastating effect on our minds and the people around us now richard stanley what he brought to the film and i did watch a short interview that he had done on the film 
he talked about how the struggle with this was bringing some humanity to it because oftentimes the, an HP Lovecraft tale can be a, a bit a step removed from the humanity. It's kind of about these big cosmic horror ideas, but it has kind of, it doesn't have that kind of emotional attachment to it necessarily. And so what he really wanted to do was get inside this family more than the short story had and say, what if this was happening to my child, my wife, my mother, my father, you know, how, what would that feel like? And I think he did a really good job with that. It's, it's really funny uh, the way he did that at a couple of moments, but also, you know, I'm part of that's because of Nicholas cage. And he talked about how for the first third, he really wanted to kind of keep Nicholas cage in check. And then at the end, just let him go. <laughs> and he did. And I don't know if you guys have seen, it's a Christmas movie that I watch pretty much almost every year. It's called Trapped in Paradise with Dana Carvey, John Lovett, and Nick Cage. I saw it when it came out. I have not seen it since. I remember liking it, though. It hasn't necessarily aged well in terms of kind of like its social content, but it's just silly and funny. You know, I, I mentioned this years ago, but I don't know who the person was that decided to cast John Lovett's and uh, Nick Cage and Dana Carvey as brothers. That was a really <laughs> weird casting choice. <laughs> yeah. But um, but Nicolas Cage in that movie, this is the only time since that movie where I really, it sounded like the same types of line readings. The way he is weird and bizarre in that film with his line readings, he gets to that territory in this movie. Like I'm ha- I have flashbacks of Trapped in Paradise when I <laughs> was watching Color Out of Space. Just really weird line readings, and you gotta love it when it's Nicolas Cage. And yeah, this is to me the best type of a Nicolas Cage movie where the film is meeting him, where the film requires him to do what he's doing, it is the best case scenario sure. I think, for enjoying a Nicolas Cage performance, you know? And um, I would not say this is the best version of that. Like it, to me, Mandy is kind of the ultimate version of that, that I've seen so far. It just completely goes as nuts as he does, but I, I really enjoyed what we got in this film. Um, Richard Stanley has talked about the, he ultimately wants to do three of these films in the series. And he's hoping that by the time he gets to the third film, that some of these, the elder gods, these, you know, these big monsters will actually be able to be on display by the time he gets to the third film, if he can get his budgets high enough, that's his goal. So for that reason alone, I would suggest supporting this movie, giving it a rental or a purchase uh, on your local streaming service um, just to see what Richard Stanley does when he's unleashed. He didn't have much budget to work with here and that's clear, but you know, it's fun. It's a good story. And if you like those other versions of the story, this is the best one that I've seen. I haven't seen the curse, I will say, but this is definitely better than die monster die. And there was also a 2010 uh, version of this film from Germany. I don't know if anyone saw that one, but there was a adaptation of color out of space from 2010 as well. So hmm. if anyone saw that one, let us know the German film. Die Farbe. Sure. Die Farbe. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I would give the color out of space probably a 7.5 and call it a rental. But I thought it was, I thought it was really enjoyable. Okay. For sure. Excellent. The score is weird. I don't know. I'm not like a big score guy. I only notice it when I either really like it or when it rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> um, I love scores, but I just, for some reason, most of the time, I just, it, it's not something that makes a huge impact to me. I'm not really paying attention to it that much. Um, and this one I noticed in a bad way a couple times. 
And so, especially in the first 20 minutes, I was just like, this is a really weird tone to strike. Which is interesting me, because ap- apparently the guy who did it, Colin Stetson, did the score uh-huh. for, for Hereditary. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, and, and I would say it got better as it went, and there was a weird part in the middle where it sounded just like they took a clip from Stranger Things and popped it in there as well, but <laughs> the first little while, I wasn't wasn't a huge fan of the choices. But okay. It was interesting. It's definitely interesting, and I, you know, if nothing else, honestly, it was fun to see Tommy Chong on screen. Um, <laughs> Elliot Knight is a young actor that's in it that was really good, and Brendan Meyer, um, I can't think he's another young actor. I can't remember what I've seen him in previously oh it looks like he was in the oa that's what i remember him from yeah, he was awesome in the oa if anyone saw that he's also in the guest but, yes um yeah i would i would recommend people check out the color out of space it's worth seeing this is one again i was hoping it was going to be like my number one movie of the year yeah and, and it wasn't quite that but it was very enjoyable and it's a film that just ramps and ramps and ramps to well i won't say what but it's it's bleak and it's, but it's also kind of fantastic at the same time. And it's not, this is not a happy endings type of movie. Richard Stanley also, I, sorry, I watched this interview with Richard Stanley right before we started the podcast. So I've got all of his quotes top of mind, but he was talking about how at the beginning, you might feel like you're watching a poltergeist or kind of like a Spielberg esque film, but it's, it is not that like it, it is bleak Lovecraft horror uh, by the end of it. Oh, so. well, good. It should be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thank you for setting my expectations because I also was going planning on I was planning on watching this in the next week or so, and I also was going in thinking I wonder if this will be my top ten. So I'm going to temper expectation and know that yeah. I, it sounds like I'll enjoy it, but who knows? I, I, it's very enjoyable. I don't for me. It's not. See again. On a normal year, I would say this probably would not make my top 10. You know, maybe an honorable mention, it would be in there. I definitely like it. And I definitely, I actually would love to revisit this with you guys and with Carl Cederholm and have a versus episode where we talk about the curse and we talk about Die Monster Die and we just get into all the nuances of a film like this with some spoilers. Um, So maybe if you guys get around to seeing it, we can do that. But, um, yeah, I, for me, I'm right now. I think it would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to put this in my top ten. Although I do think it gets more and more impressive as it goes. I will say that also. The first twenty minutes are kind of slow, and it just but it keeps ramping, 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 ramping. And yeah. Up next, we have comments from two of our listeners. First is Ash. She's also one of the hosts at Kill the Dead podcast, and she's been a guest here on HMP in the past. And her comments will be followed by Leslie, who's a longtime HMP listener, friend of the show. We thank them both for their contributions. Hey guys, it's Ash. Let me just start by saying that 2020 has been one unpredictable and stressful year. With recent events, I've never felt so uncomfortable and, to be honest, scared for my life. I've always joked around and said that watching horror movies helped me prepare for certain situations. But nothing could prepare me for what's happening now. You know, it sucks to see people's true colors when unfortunate things happen, but I am thankful for everybody that's out there fighting for justice. I want to say thank you to my horror family for showing me love and support, and also thank you to the guys on HMP for allowing me to use my voice on their platform. I love each and every one of you guys. Peace and love. Hi, my name is Leslie Lewis. I am originally from the suburbs of Philadelphia, PA. However, I currently reside in Phoenix, Arizona. 
I just want to thank you for using your platform for shining the light on something so significant that is happening in the world today. You know, I am just, here's how I'm feeling. I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm angry, and I'm exhausted. I am so exhausted. It has literally been a rough couple of weeks, and that is putting it lightly. Unfortunately, it took yet another death of a black man by the name of George Floyd for people to finally say that, you know what, enough is enough. And just not the people within Minneapolis, but people across America, and just not even people across America, people all over the world finally said, enough is enough. This should never have happened. Should never have happened. It's disgraceful. But yet, here we are in 2020, and it just seems like history is repeating itself, unfortunately. However, if the death of George Floyd is the catalyst for the change required, not only in the U.S., but in the entire world, then so be it. There's a revolution afoot, and I hope that this doesn't fizzle out like everything else does. You know, how certain topics are trending for a while, and then out of the blue, it just disappears, and you never hear about it again. This topic cannot afford to fizzle out, because we're fighting for human rights. We're fighting for basic human rights. To be seen as equals. Most people don't think about that when they hear people yelling, Black Lives Matter. My Black Life Matters. Save Black Lives. We aren't viewed as human beings. It is one of the coldest and hardest truths that I've had to swallow my whole entire life is that I'm not viewed as a human being. And that is why Black people as a whole are treated the way they are. So until social injustice and systemic racism are no longer a thing, I will just keep fighting the good fight. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to voice my feelings on this topic. I've been listening to you gentlemen for a very long time and uh, just thank you so much for all that you do. Love you guys and keep up the great work. Thank you to Leslie and Ash. You can follow Leslie on Twitter at MeLegalLuscious. Ash on Twitter at AshXAshes and Kill the Dead Podcast on Twitter at Kill the Dead Pod. Find the links to those in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. Please give them a follow and let them know you appreciate hearing from them. Now, here's our feature review of VFW. Oh, Lord. Oh, there you go. You've been at this, haven't you? I have. Uh huh. To us. Still here. Still here. You know where you are, kid? In the uh, VFW post. How about we close the bar down early tonight? What do you got going on? The best birthday that Freddie ever got. Linda! Hey, this is girl! Oh. Hey. It's Q&A time, kid. You see, the problem is that me and my old friends are probably gonna die tonight unless you help us out to understand what's happening here. You steal this? V-F-W. What is that? Veterans of foreign wars. Good. Soldiers are good at dying. You were a soldier. So we all. Let's act like it. We set a perimeter. We make our stand. 
You'll all die very, very slowly. You last. But whatever you gonna do, do it. Because you make a mistake. I'm gonna cut your heart out. It's for you that we're doing all of this. I, I never asked for your goddamn help, Gramps. The second you walked through that door, we was duty-bound to help you. Let's go. All right. BFW, directed by uh, Joe Bagos. Also directed uh, Bliss from last mm -hmm. year. Stephen Lang it produced it. He's also the star of this one. It's set in well, basically a town that is uh, falling apart. Uh, there, there's a uh, rampant uh, opioid addiction, and there's a new drug called Hype uh, that's hit the streets. And uh, the drug dealer Boz, played by Travis Hammer, he's the only supplier of this, and he's gotten rich off of um, you know the misery of others. And then he's basically ruined this town. But Boz decides he wants to basically sell out and get out of town. He's like, let's blow this place and let's just, I guess, go retire. And him and his brother are going to do that. So he still has some drugs left. He's going to sell all of that the next day and uh, some of the hype. And then he's out of town. He also, I guess, has a sort of disdain for the addicts that have been feeding him all of his riches. Uh, and he sends one to their, to their death. Uh, well, it turns out it was the sister of Elizabeth, her name, they call her Lizard, played by uh, Sierra McCormick, who uh, was also in uh, Some Kind of Hate a few years back. Uh, but uh, so she's she wants to get revenge for the death of her sister, and she steals Boz, Boz's drugs and runs off with them. Now, also in this town is a VFW post. The owner is a guy named Fred. And um, he's, it's his birthday. So all of his buddies are there in his bar, in the VFW bar, for uh, some drinks. And his friends are Walter, played by William Sadler. Uh, car salesman, his, his name is Lou, played by Martin Cove, of course, of oh, the Karate Kid. Nice. Wow. Abe, played by Fred Williamson. Wow. Thomas, <laughs> yeah, Thomas, played by George Went. And Doug, played by David Patrick Kelly, who I always think wow. of the Warriors when I hear David Patrick Kelly. Oh, yeah. Come out to play. That is awesome. Yeah, that, it's a great cast. It's just oh, almost like awesome, like man. it's like an Expendables for you know for a certain type of type of movie. Well, Lizard runs into the bar, and chasing her is, um, I guess, Boz's brother and another guy. Well, they immediately take an axe and injure one of Fred's friends. So Fred blows him away with a shotgun. This then turns into basically it's assault on precinct 13 set in a VFW post. Oh my God. I got to go guys. I got a movie to watch. Bye. Yeah. And, and what, and what, the, what is amazing <laughs> is it is one of the most violent films I've seen recently. And it's all practical effects. Oh, sweet. Joe Begos used all practical. As a matter of fact, he was giddy. Like I saw behind the scenes video of this and he's like giddy as they're doing some of the practical effects and it gets insanely crazy. I mean, after a while, it's just all about the, the violence of these. What it is, is Boz uh, puts out, he basically makes an announcement on a loudspeaker and this whole building is filled with his addicts saying, whoever brings me lizard and the drugs gets a free, I don't know, however many months supply of hype. So all of the druggies are descending on the VFW post and it's on. And that's what you get it, it, with VFW. Um, and like I, you do get to care about the characters at the VFW. 
you know, because they seem like real guys. There's just a spirit of fun about it, even though there's so much violence going on. I mean, like terrible things happening to people in this movie. The only problem I have was sometimes the, the, the violence, and I don't know if it was, a, it was a stylistic choice. It's just a little bit quick with the cuts and the, and the way that it's shot. So it makes it sometimes a little bit hard to decipher who's doing what to who. But it doesn't take away from the fun factor. It doesn't take away from just the excitement of, of, of the movie. And it really, it's almost like Grindhouse style uh, filmmaking uh, yeah. that Joe Bagos did here. But it still has, it's still, you can tell it was by the same guy who did Bliss. By the look of it, there's a dark quality to it. And I'm talking about the look of the film, the darkness yeah. that was in Bliss. And you get that in VFW as well. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I, I had so much fun watching this movie. I watched all the special features. And now on the Blu-ray for this one, Joel, there are two commentaries. Nice. Well, let me put it this way, Dave. About halfway yep. through your review, it has officially mm-hmm. been ordered and is en route to my oh. house as we speak. I could, I know, awesome. I, I know, I could stream it, <laughs> but I saw there was extras. I'm like, we're in, we're done. This is. Yep. And and one of the one of the commentaries is by the husband wife team that did all of the gore effects uh, practically. So. Oh God, yeah. this looks amazing. Yep, I'm going to give this one a nine. Oh, excellent. And I say you pick it up because I think you're going to want to see it again. Well, I did. Thank you, Dave. Awesome. Very cool. Our next community comment is from Ivatrice Littles. She's the creator and host of Horror Movies and Beyond, and they call Trice the Oprah of horror. Hello, my name is Ivatrice Littles, and I am the creator and host of Horror Movies and Beyond. When I was young, horror movies was like the family thing. We all went to the movies. We've all rented... We would buy food and sit in front of the TV. It was like a family affair. Friends would come over. We would enjoy ourselves. Over time, I learned that horror movies and mental health came hand in hand. I was able to cope with the traumatic events and understand them better when I watched horror movies and learned about them and read about them and the history of them. When I was young, my dad was murdered in front of me. He died at my feet. Soon after, I was sexually, mentally, and physically abused by a close, very close family member that I thought was supposed to protect me, but they didn't. So over the years, I've became this empty shell. My self-confidence was almost non-existent. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was all these horrible things that was constantly told to me. I was bullied in school. I was bullied at home. There was no sanctuary for me. I had no one. I didn't really know how to make friends. I didn't have anybody that close. And when I did get too close, no one really understood me because I was different. Or at least I thought I was different. But in my teens, I've gotten close to my niece, and which she's just a few years younger than me. And we would go and rent horror movies and we would scare ourselves to death. She became like my best friend. We've seen so many 
talked about so many. Oh my God, I, I can't even name how many movies we saw. But it was that family again, that sense of belonging that I really wanted. But And I got that through horror movies. I never really felt sad watching horror movies. It was mostly during the drama. It was mostly the romantic comedies, things like that. Because I wanted to be them. I wanted to be happy like them. I wanted to meet someone. I wanted to be beautiful like them. I wanted to be all these things that they were doing in those movies. But when I watched the horror movies, I didn't want to be like them. They were trying to get away from whatever was chasing them. And I learned how to cope with the traumatic things in my life by watching them overcome the fear of whatever is chasing them. That's the part I could understand. That is the person I wanted to be. When I watched Jamie Lee Curtis, when I watched Sigourney Weaver, when they battled the aliens, battled Michael Myers, I saw those enemies and those creatures as the dark side of my life that I'm trying to run from. But instead of running, they stood in its face and fought it and do it the best that they can. And that's what I learned to do. I'm still learning who I am and how to cope. But I'm a hell of a lot better than what I was when I was a kid. And, and that's what horror movies did for me. Showed me there's a way out even in the darkest of times. Hopelessness depression, anxiety, suicide was all too common growing up. But once I started going to the horror conventions and meeting people and talking to them and finding out that I'm not alone in those feelings, I felt I could be anything. I can defeat this. It will always be a part of me, but I learn to control it. Those traumatic events will always stay in my mind. They will always be a part of me growing up. But horror movies help me understand that strength comes from within. And you can defeat and you can triumph over the evil things. Move forward and not be afraid to stand up against the things that hurt you and find help, that's what I have now. And I am so glad to meet such a wonderful community that accepts who you are with open arms. I am Ivo Trees Littles, and I am the host and creator of Horror Movies and Beyond. Thank you for letting me be a part of this and let people aware that horror movies and mental health does go hand in hand in some form. And the horror community is here to help. Thanks again to Ivatrice Littles. You can follow her and Horror Movies and Beyond at HMoviesBeyond on Twitter. Also find links to her Instagram and YouTube channel at her Twitter account or at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. And now we'll move from that into some fun mini-reviews from Gilma and Joel and some horror TV talk. All right, so that wraps up all our feature 
reviews. And uh, let's go ahead then and maybe move into some mini review talk. Now, now, do you want me to kick this off, guys? Do you want me to be the... Yeah. Since, since uh, I obviously sure. am a slacker and didn't do any feature reviews? <laughs> okay. It's all good. All right. Yeah. So... For for this, I high level, and I mean very high level, because these are all movies we've talked about kind of ad nauseum on the show, uh, but I have been using the current life situation we all find ourselves in uh, to edumacate my children on horror and, and because I, I have a range of children, so I have, my oldest is 13, my youngest is 10, so I don't want to leave anybody out, so I have to kind of strategically, you know, figure out how I'm going to show certain things. Although I can neither confirm nor deny that Jason Lives was playing on TV, edited for TV, and I might have let them watch the last 10 to 15 minutes of it. Um, but that aside, that, that, that bad parenting move aside, um, I, uh, they finally have all seen Monster Squad. Of course, come on, you know, and the fact that it took me this long is really pathetic. Uh, but uh, so we did get Monster Squad in. I, I, and just assume every movie I'm about to mention is a 10 in my world. So for as far as my reviews go uh, and Tremors. My children all have finally seen Tremors. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. And the one that I was sure I was positive was going to lead to people showing up my door at midnight telling me they couldn't sleep, but did not, oddly enough, but they all loved it, uh, Poltergeist. Oh, nice. Yes. Wow. Yes. So they uh, they loved it. They were totally into it, but uh, none of them, although now every time, because we've had conversations about potentially getting uh, another house at some point, something with a little bit more room as the kids are getting older so they can each have their own room, blah, blah, blah. So as we go through certain neighborhoods, the common refrain is, yeah, this does kind of look like the neighborhood in Poltergeist, Dad. Right. <laughs> you better make sure there weren't any cemeteries yeah, in yeah, the there, area Yes, yes, point. exactly. And, and, and of course, it doesn't matter. So if it's an old house, I get to hear about how no, no way that place is obviously haunted or if it's like an obvious suburban you know spielbergian vibe then it's poltergeist so we'll be living in a box down by the river at the rate we're going <laughs> and i just want to say for anyone who doubted me when i had invasion of the body snatchers 1956 on my top 10 list we now see that Joel's son was far more disturbed by yes. invasion oh. of body snatchers than even poltergeist He's, he was <laughs> hey dude i'm not joking last night he wouldn't go to sleep last night. And I can't go, Dad, I got to tell you something. What? He goes, I just can't stop thinking about that movie again. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? And he's like, I know it's not real. I know it's not real, Dad. But, oh, I just, I, I'm like, bud, no one is going to change into, uh, so. yeah. Yeah, the clown and poltergeist did nothing, apparently, to them. But, but Invasion wow. of the Body Snatchers, total traumatic event. I think I've talked about this on the show. I'm sure I have, but for some reason, Dreamscape was a film that scared the crap out of me as a little yeah, kid. Yeah, I could see that. There were moments. Older cousins who showed it to me, or they were just watching it, and I saw it. I think, yeah. Even. But I, then I was staying with my grandparents for the summer right after that, and every night my you know, my grandma would be like, "It's dinner time" or whatever, and I'd go. I remember like crawling up her stairs and like peeking in the kitchen. And just imagining them like ripping their faces off oh. and being aliens underneath—that <laughs> always freaked the crap out. That would be a fun <laughs> themed episode sometime. Just a conversation about TV and movies that we grew up with that was totally not horror, totally, definitely not horror. But there was moments in it. I have a little uh, little house on the prairie, one that I'll bring bring up if we ever do that, where it's Ugh. it's like totally not <laughs> horror, but there's something in it that happens that is so horrifying to you as a child, it just traumatizes you. Just yeah, yeah, devastates you. I had, I had, I had something like that in the original series of Star Trek. 
scared the hell out of me. I was hiding behind the Is couch. it the Gorn? Was the Gorn your... Huh? Was it the Gorn? No, it wasn't the Gorn. <laughs> it was uh, something that attaches itself to Spock's back oh. in one episode. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what episode. I think it was third season. Scared the living hell out of me. Are, I did. I had to run behind the couch. Are you sure you weren't watching Brain Damage and you just thought you were watching? No. No. <laughs> okay. Just checking. I don't know if I brought this up on our last recording, but I showed my son train to Basan uh, during quarantine. Did you really? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's a little more brave than my daughter, who's older than him. And uh, he didn't think it was that scary. They had seen I had shown them uh, Get Out and A Quiet Place when we were still in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And those were the last two horror films we'd seen other than we'd watched a few Universal Classics since we've been here as well. Mm-hmm. But I showed him Train to Busan. And his reviews are kind of like mine, Joel. You know how you're like, I have no idea where, what rating you're going to give this at the end. It's like going to be a surprise. <laughs> he uh, he sat and gave me his review. And as I typed it out on Letterboxd, you know, I wanted to have a record of his review. I was like, I don't know where he's going with this. And at the end, he said, I don't know if it was my favorite movie ever, but there was nothing wrong with it. 10 out of 10. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with it. That's great. That is fantastic. Yeah. The uh, nine year old. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I showed my kids a quiet place too, but I showed it. I, I feel like, did I mention that in one of our previous recordings? I think I may have already mentioned it, but uh, yeah, I did show them a quiet place. They love that. They're, 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 yeah. their biggest uh, besides obviously, you know, the whole not seeing friends and family for months on end. Their, their biggest, uh, I think, uh, thing that's upset them is the fact that quiet place two got bumped because we were going to go see that opening weekend oh. they were so jones that would have been sort of like their first you know quote-unquote horror movie in the theater like you know what i mean like re- kind of experience so uh, i think they were all bummed all three of them were real bummed Me too and i hope i'm hoping once they they'll release that one sooner than later because at least that one's through production yes that one was at least ready to be released yeah. all these other movies have just stopped production sure so who knows sure but- the other movie that I did show them was uh, Twilight Zone. The movie they all they all love that quite a bit. Uh, they were a little freaked oh. out by the uh, the gremlin on the wing of the plane thing. Oh yeah, because I think face How about is the freaky. third story? How about the third story with the kid? I always thought that was very disturbing too. Yeah. I mean, the, the fourth one's the best, but yes. the third one really yeah. kind of got to me too. Yeah, there's something about that. Yeah, the uh, the one with um, uh, Kathleen Quinlan, the mm-hmm. Joe Dante directed one. Yeah, yeah, that that was always yep. freaky. Yeah. And of course, the very opening with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Want to see something uh, really Brooks. scary? Yes. That movie made me fall in love with the song. Midnight uh, Special. Midnight Special oh, I love by, that song. CCR, I yeah. love CCR. My dad was a huge CCR fan. So, And then, of course, the next day when we got in the car, the first thing I play when the kids get in the car. <laughs> get the Midnight <laughs> Special. Really scary. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah. So that's all the ones that I, I have uh, shown them. I'm planning on showing them The Gate. They got to see The Gate. I'm trying to, I was trying to make a list, oh, yeah. uh, although supposedly, our, I don't know about you guys, you have drive-ins near you? Yeah, we've been to the drive-in. We went and saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It was oh, amazing. I showed that to my I kids uh, the other day. Yeah, that's awesome. That was my second time seeing it on a big screen. The first time was the weekend of its initial yeah, release when I watched great. it with a bunch of my little elementary school idiot friends. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> it was fun to watch it with my little elementary school idiot kids and, <laughs> and on the big screen. It was amazing. Yeah. I loved it. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen it hundred times since then and sure. they've seen it a bunch of times too but yeah. one of the last places we went before quarantine was uh, my father-in-law wanted to go to the desert one last time before his cancer treatment so we went down to moab and we went to archers national park and we went to double arch where they filmed 
the opening oh. sequence for Indiana Jones. Oh Day. man, I, that's I, I would love to see. I would oh, love to see that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was fun because even though the kids kind of were aware of that when we were at Arches and they had seen the movie before seeing it that close afterward on the big screen. Sure. Like, we were just there. That's we awesome. Right that arch. That's fantastic. Oh, That's by the way, great. side note, cause I, I actually just showed that to my kids for the first time about two days ago. I think it was, uh, it was on oh, Netflix wow. or whatever. Um, and, uh, they love Raiders. We watch Raiders like a bajillion times and they've seen temple doom. So I was like, yeah, you got to watch last crusade. Cause in my opinion, second best of the series, um, uh, behind kingdom of the crystal skull, of course. Um, obviously, yes, obviously. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying, but, uh, the thing is, is that, I feel even more sad. I mean, look, the loss of River Phoenix was sad on so many levels for so many reasons. But would he not have been the perfect replacement? If you're going to replace Harrison oh, Ford, yeah. he was it's like watching him now, like as an adult watching it, he gets it so right. He's it's oh, what a uh, I mean, for my own selfish reasons, it's a loss. But I mean, it's, yeah. it's well, a horrible loss. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Uh, OK. Much. <laughs> Sure, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, so yeah, so they uh, saw that. However, I bring up the drive-in thing uh, because they are supposedly, fingers crossed, please don't let me down. Next weekend, I think it is, uh, we're recording this. Yeah, not this week, coming up, the weekend after. Psycho, dude. They are putting Psycho at oh, our drive-in. Oh, that's awesome. Psycho and the birds. Now, Psycho is going to start at like almost nine o'clock at night. So I don't know if we'll be able to like keep everybody awake to sit through the birds as well. But they, I almost did. They had Christine and Stand By Me playing at ours. <laughs> I know, dude. I, my, I looked at my wife. She goes, you can go by yourself. I'm like, I'm not going to go sit in my car by myself. Right. Come on. <sighs> so I it, saw Stand By Me opening weekend when it came out. Yeah. I, uh, I love that movie. And Christine, of course, is, is uh, awesome. It's been seeing Christine at a drive-in. How perfect is yeah. that? Come on. Exactly. So, Psycho, I, I, a, uh, a double feature here. There's uh, The Vast of Night, which I reviewed on our Sundance coverage a, wh- a while back. It was at Slamdance and a Knives Out. That would be a fun double oh, feature. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got Valley Girl. Um, that Ooh. would be fun. Yeah. Oh wait, that's a new Valley Girl. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. Oh, Strike that. Oh, never mind. Strike right. it. Uh, but they <laughs> no, they are showing do. Superman seventy eight and Batman eighty nine as a double feature. Wow, that would be good. Yeah, that's another one. And Willy oh, Wonka the and something else. Man and the Hunt double feature. That would be worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, would be yep, for sure. Yeah. Damn it! I wish I had a drive in near me. I mean, there used to be one. I think up in up in Reading because when we when I played deck hockey, I remember being getting done a game and looking up and seeing arachnophobia on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> well check it out Dave. a bunch of them are reopening yes right now. they are maybe yeah maybe it is yeah ours is awesome. the, the silver moon drive-in it's in lakeland and it's been there since 1948 and i don't believe it's ever cl- i think it closed like one time briefly but never for any substantial period of time and it's got two screens um and it's great they have like always a, every weekend they have like a flea market swap shop kind of thing and uh yeah. but uh yeah I feel, I feel like social distancing i mean you can't get much more socially distant than your car so uh, I uh, I feel yeah. I feel okay with doing that. So I definitely assume, man, the idea of seeing Psycho on the big screen in a drive-in. I feel like that's the first time my kids are going to see it. That is the way to do it. That sounds incredible. Yeah. So then my final mini review, and then and then I will kick it over to you guys. Um, is a movie we actually covered on Tear on the Tube. I believe it was a last movie or second last. I think it was the last movie we covered. Um, and it is an, a horror anthology film, a made-for-TV horror anthology film from 1977. Now, it was 
it, for those that don't listen to Terror on the Tube, the, the premise is uh, Peter Nielsen and Allison Clark are, are co-hosts on that. And we will watch these made-for-TV horror films from the 70s, 80s, and very rarely, but occasionally early 90s when we find one. And the idea is you go into it completely cold. You don't know anything about it. You may, you know the title, and that's it. And at the end of each episode, we pick the next one quite literally out of a hat because Peter's got a list and the, the running joke at this point has been Allison. There'll be many of these and she's like, oh, no, I've never even heard of that or I don't think I've heard of that. And then it turns out she's totally seen it because she's seen like all of these. So uh, she's become like our resident expert, you know, sort of after the fact, like when we first think of the movies, I like think, oh, great, finally one that she'll be surprised by. And then like, ah, just kidding. No, um, I seem to think, though, this one is also one that turned out she had not seen. And the title is kind of generic. There's another horror anthology called Dead of Night from the 40s. Right, Dave? I mean, it's. That's the one with the, the ventriloquist dummy in it. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good movie, too. But um, I'm guessing this is not that. This is not that. But here's what's so cool. It's that moment when you know nothing about something other than the title, the year it came out. I didn't even know it was a horror anthology film. So it starts up and I see the name Dan Curtis. I'm like, hey, what? Okay. All right. Because Trilogy <laughs> of Terror. I mean, if nothing else, the, the final episode of Trilogy of Terror, Emilia, based on the story by Richard Mathis and Prey, I'm like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, okay. Man. Yeah. And so... And then I'm like realizing as it gets going that this, oh, this is an anthology. But here's the thing. It's written by Richard Matheson, who was stories were the ones that Trilogy of Terror based on. Like, okay, what, what's happening? Why, my, my, <laughs> how have I never even heard of this? And so then it turns out the first story was adapted by Richard Matheson because it's based on a story by Jack Finney. The guy who did Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So again, wow. it's that really awesome moment where you're like, I this could be the worst thing ever, and I still love it. I don't care. The fact, <laughs> you know, because I didn't even know this existed. So so first episode is called Second Chance. And I'm gonna keep this very quick, but it's basically a, an episode of Amazing Stories as directed by Steven Spielberg circa 1985. So it's that overly mm. sentimental, nothing scary about it. Um, and it's funny because this is the Jack Finney based story, but it's very reminiscent of a story that, or a book technically that Matheson wrote called Bedtime Return that was made into the movie Somewhere in Time, of which I'm a huge fan. Oh, but so yeah. I don't tell you anything else about it, but it's got a very, very young Ed Bagley Jr. in it. And it's it's a very sweet story. It is not scary at all, like at all, like nothing about it. So you're good. You, it totally sets you up in a way, kind of like trilogy of terror. Because as I recall, the first couple episodes of that, they, they, you know, they're they're, eh, they're okay. It but it's always like they're setting you up just so they can give you that final one and just destroy your mind with it. So the second one in this is called No Such Thing as a Vampire, and it stars uh, Patrick McNee of the Avengers and, and and other things, and it is a period piece vampire tale of sorts that's all i'm gonna say and it is based on a matheson story and he adapted it but the reason you want to see this movie much like trilogy of terror they saved the best for last it's called bobby <clears throat> and it is a another retelling of the monkey's paw Mm, kind of wow. like in the in the in the pet cemetery vein or you know in the yeah, I, I was also reminded of like there was a even buffy the vampire slayer had an episode that was a, a nod to <laughs> monkey's paw so it's a, a story you've seen a gajillion times and there's nothing about this particular short that much like the the one with the zuni fetish doll in trilogy of terror that is so unexpected and the, oh but it's all i'll say to set it up is the main character 
is a woman who's returning to this home of her. It's like a vacation home her family has but near the beach. It's kind of overlooks these cliffs. It's very kind of gothic. It's a dark and stormy night situation. And she wants to bring back her son who drowned. And she does some sort of, you know, magic ritual type thing. And then very shortly thereafter, she doesn't think it worked at first. Very shortly thereafter, there's this noise outside the door during this horrible thunderstorm that lasts throughout the duration of the piece. But it's so perfect because it just totally captures this mood and this atmosphere. And there's someone at her door and it may not be what she expects, um, despite what the appearance is. So that's all I'll say. But man, does it get dark and twisted. I'm like, they did this in 1977? And there's something about like some of the other, some I don't want to give anything away, but just remember in Trilogy of Terror, kind of the imagery at the end of it, like how you're like, oh, it's got that vibe, okay? So... <laughs> Don't totally you it's on YouTube. It, there is a DVD. This is much like I did in this episode. As soon as we were uh, actually, I think before we even recorded that episode, I immediately jumped on Amazon, found that they had a DVD with a few extras. I think it actually has an extra short on it that I guess was originally gonna be a pilot because they were thinking about doing it as a series, I guess. Um, had some other stuff. And I, so you can get on Amazon for like 11, 12 bucks. It's DVD, not Blu-ray, called Dead of Night, but you definitely could see it YouTube. And I think it may even be Amazon Prime. I think, I don't know if you have to pay for it or not, but I think it's Amazon. I, I'm pretty sure it's on there. So if nothing else, watch it for the final one, but you probably want to watch the whole thing. It's pretty short and it's a good buildup uh, to that final piece. So that is Dead of Night, 1977. Definitely check it out. Wow. Awesome. I am definitely going to, yeah, I'm checking that. One. Yeah. I you just check out Terror on the Tube as well. Oh, thank you very oh, much, yeah. Josh. Yeah. 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 That one too. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has been my, honestly, this is my favorite movie we've covered so far. Uh, I, it, it checks all my boxes. So uh, definitely uh, give, give it a look. See, I, I would say for me, as, as made for TV horror movies from the late 70s go, this for me was a, a solid like 9.5. Like it's so, it's, it's, it's teetering there in the 10 range. It's, it's a great one. So. Definitely check it out. Josh, then, do you have any mini reviews you'd like to share with us? Well, speaking of terror on the tube, mm -hmm. we have a new segment called Terror on the Television Tube. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some requests as of late and really ever since the podcast started to cover more television. And um, Dave has really never watched a lot of television because he had his 2500 movie challenge right. and that kept him very busy. And Jay never really liked covering television, but I was always up for it. And Joel watches a lot of TV. And so we thought we should bring in a television segment, at least talk about things as we're watching them from time to time. And the main reason I wanted to talk about this show is because I just think it's a great quarantine binge. If you are sheltering in place still, uh, this is a good one to watch to pass some time. It is what we do in the shadows, the television series and the first two seasons are on Hulu. I believe not every episode of season two is up yet. They come out like once a week, but we're several into it now. They should almost all be up if they're not already. But um, it's just a really fun series. If you liked the movie, you're definitely going to like this. Series. Okay, good. And I, it took me a while to commit. I'd seen like an episode. I think I watched the pilot, but I didn't commit all the way because I just thought I'm really going to miss Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement in this. You know, I love them as performers so much. And I did miss them in this, but I fell in love with the new cast almost immediately. And truly, if you like the movie at all, you're going to absolutely love this as well. It's exactly the same type of thing. 
And it, this follows a group of uh, vampires, whereas the first film followed vampires in New Zealand. This follows a group of vampires in Staten Island in New York. It's really funny. Basically, they were dropped off to the New World like a thousand years ago, and they were supposed to take it over. And they've taken over their street and half of the next street over on Staten Island. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, they have to reckon with the Vampire Council occasionally. I will say when the Vampire Council does first appear on the screen, if you've ever watched a vampire movie in the last 20 years, you're very much going to appreciate who the members of this vampire council are. Okay. They're all there. They're all there. (laughs) So it's very exciting in that way, but mostly it's just a silly comedy. And like I talked about with extraordinary, you know, it's that Jared has style that take away TT style of comedy. It's kind of low key underplaying the jokes, anti-comedy. This is found footage, faux documentary style. There's a documentary crew following the vampires around. And if you enjoy shows like The Office or Parks and Recreation, this is more macabre than those, obviously, because it's horror. But, you know, you're already listening to a horror podcast. I'm assume you can take that. You're going to like this. If you like The Office or Parks and Rec, you're going to like this as well. Like, it's just it's that high level of quality. And uh, the vampire content is top notch. They have werewolves. They have zombies. Uh, necromancy it's great it's a lot of fun and um i can't recommend it high enough honestly it was a breath of fresh air during my quarantine situation i just really enjoyed binging my way through that and i recommend it wholeheartedly i would give it a 9.5 out of 10 and say wow. uh binge it right away Again, oh wow okay on hulu and i would buy it in a second like i haven't looked yet because it was on, available for me on hulu but it's definitely something I'm going to get around to buying the Blu-ray um, if it's available. So, Well, thank you for that, Josh, because my wife and I, well, we're fans of the movie, but I had, I knew this was out and it, it was like, it, it was one of the things where I think I saw on Hulu that it was on there and I didn't want, I watched the trailer. I think they may have had a trailer on there or somewhere. I saw a trailer and mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking, yeah, okay, maybe who knows eventually someday. And then, uh, and as I told you before we recorded, you got me really into parks and rec. And so we've been barreling through that. So we'll probably be done with that. I'm thinking in the next month or less at the rate we're going. Uh, so I will definitely put this one on the agenda. That is great. Good to hear. Not for the kids. I will say that there's a lot of language and there's not any actual like nudity or sexuality. I don't think on the show, but there is a lot of sexual discussion between the vampires and it's just hilarious. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like just really, if you, if you saw the film, you know what I'm talking about. It's like perverted, but like in the most like ridiculous childish way. Sure. 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 Yeah. um, It's kind of, there's a whole episode about a vampire orgy and, and stuff like that. But um, it's, yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> series, they're just really dumb jokes. It's very silly. Like there's there's a joke where this Baron is from the old world is going to come vi- to visit them, and they're trying to prepare for uh, his arrival. And so they're at the dollar store trying to find spooky looking decorations. <laughs> <laughs> This one vampire is obsessed. He keeps trying to get creepy paper. He's like, oh, we have to get more of this creepy paper. <laughs> creepy, like, creepy paper. paper. Creepy paper. <laughs> I get more creepy paper. <laughs> See, that, that's my sense of humor. So, uh, that's fine. That's perfect. That's excellent. Actually, that makes me very happy because I felt like that was a series that either could really work or it would be awful. <laughs> 
It was just they're they just milking completely it. nailed it. And in fact, it's it's better than the movie in a lot of ways. Wow. I mean, I again, I really enjoy those original performers, but they just have you know how series are. They have so much more time and room to sure. play with the world. Sure. And so they just they do they delve into every corner of the world. You yeah. Know? And it's a lot of fun. Well, after, uh, like I said, after Parks and Rec, I will definitely check that out. And then uh, I love the idea of this becoming a regular thing because I, you know, I'm a fan of, you know, certain TV shows. Uh, you know, my wife and I usually find one and then we'll we'll try to, to rip through it. We we will come to some very late in the game, like Breaking Bad. We finally finished, you know, like 10 years after everybody else. But um, I'll still sing the praises of that show till the day I die. Uh, but uh, Creep Show, it's been on my docket for a while now. So I am probably planning on barreling through that in the next uh in the next coming weeks. Um, Very much worth your while. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking it forward to me, that. It gives me an uh, opportunity to uh, to delve into some, too. Sure. Which, yeah, there's like, a lot I, of good I have, ones. I, I want to watch Night I have all three seasons of Night Gallery. Oh, Night Gallery. That's a great from, one. From the, for, you know, from the sure. what was it, 60s, 70s. Yeah. I think it was uh, early 70s. Early 70s, and, yeah. Um, Late 60s. Yeah, and I, I haven't had, I haven't, I saw the first episode and I haven't seen any others and I'd really love to just sit down and, and sort of watch those and, yeah, I want to see the new creep show also. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, and then there's like the shows and I'm a fan of Walking Dead. I know there's some people who have long since given up. <laughs> They're like, I'm out. Uh, and I get it. I get it. I almost feel like this point with the sunk cost fallacy where I've put so much time in. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not bailing yeah. now. Dang it. It's been 10 years. <laughs> but that said, it has its ups and downs, but I do enjoy it. And, you know, con, you know, it's if you're a horror fan, it's nice to get your uh, weekly dose of you know, zombie gore yeah. and, 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 right. and action. And, and, you know, I, I had a friend that once called it misery porn and he's not wrong. It basically is just, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is the most hopeless situation ever. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I would love to talk about any of these, anything knows for ought to, I think we brought up a while back as a, as another good one. I and mean, there's a lot of really great, I do feel the argument it's become cliche at this point, but they talk we're in this golden age of, television with the writing i think yeah and i think we've been in it for a while now uh but we there's a lot of really great shows right. well cool and maybe we could do some special episodes too and just focus on completely on a series i know sure. we've had some requests for that we did do that for the movie podcast network patrons with uh, stranger things a while back yeah i would love to do a castle rock episode oh, at some point castle rock season two is the best yeah and that my wife has agreed to watch it we've been watching that so yeah yeah all right. That's excellent. As our final community comment from the evening, we will hear from Maurice Jones. Maurice is an HMP listener, a Campfire Tales contributor, an artist, musician, film reviewer, and all-around hilarious guy. This is Maurice. Hey, Horror Movie Podcast. Congrats again on the Silver Bolo. And thank you for doing this. And yeah, okay. Black Lives Matter. For those of you listening, this is Maurice Jones. I'm black, and I do satirical movie reviews and horror movie reviews on the YouTubes. And I write blog movie reviews and horror movie reviews on the interwebs. So uh, we're in a horror movie right now, and it's a zombie movie, and the zombies are the cops, the right-wing rednecks, and the military and the National Guard and all them. And the creepy government that created these zombies with the 245 trioxin is, well, the government. And with the cops invading the protesters, the government wants any reason for things to pop off. You know, like in Return of the Living Dead, 
spoilers, how the government's only answer is to bomb the area with the zombies, even though the citizens are down below just being citizens, and they'll get killed too. Basically, the government creates and sends out these zombies due to negligence, and we're being attacked by zombies and will soon be bombed by our own government because of the cop and white supremacist zombies. And now, it's also Land of the Dead, because Trump has locked himself away from us with a wall in his White House Tower, which is supposed to be the house of the people, but, you know, it never really was. As a black person myself, you know, I've always loved horror movies. Ghetto, of course, is extremely important to me, mainly because the weekend that it came out, I went to see with my white girlfriend, in which later that weekend, I ended up meeting her parents, who live in a western New York State suburb, like the parents in Get Out, which made Get Out extra scary for me, but also made that movie experience much more special seeing it with my girlfriend. Scream 2 is also my favorite Scream, partly because it's one in the franchise that acknowledges the black point of view on horror movies. It's the one that shows black people have always had the right ideas when it comes to surviving a horror movie. And as a kid, I saw myself as Joel the Caraman, watching the white characters and asking why don't they just leave before Ghostface gets them. The bottom line is that black lives matter, but... The cops, the military, racist white people in the system don't want them to matter. And ultimately, non-black, non-minorities won't matter either once the system moves from race to class. So right now, it's important for non-minorities to protect black lives because the fight is for all of us. And as a horror fan, if you don't get what I'm saying, remember, George Floyd is Dwayne at the end of Night of Living Dead. Don't you ever forget that. Thank you to Maurice for his contributions. Make sure to check out his satirical film reviews on YouTube. They're hilarious. You can follow Maurice on Twitter at MauriceAJones2. And he has a film review blog as well. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. I want to thank all of our amazing guests for this episode. Really appreciate your words. I was really pleased with the diversity of points of view. I thought it was really enlightening. And I was asking a lot of you and the listeners, let's normalize that discomfort and put an end to this real-life horror. So thanks again to Jeffrey Reddick, Dr. Robin Armin's Coleman, Damon Himes, Tonya Ransom, Ash to Ashes, Leslie Lewis, Ivatrice Littles, and Maurice Jones. Please help us show our appreciation by checking out their work. And one last note before we go, we are doing a giveaway. Our next episode is about aquatic horror. The title of the episode is Leviathans from the Deep. And to celebrate, we're giving away several copies of the brand new 45th anniversary limited edition 4K Blu-ray of Jaws. The giveaway is sponsored by Universal Pictures, and we want to thank them for giving us these copies of the film to give away to our listeners. Steven Spielberg's cinematic masterpiece comes to 4K Ultra HD for the first time ever. Of course, this film was the first summer blockbuster and a winner of three Academy Awards, including Best Original Score. You know how it goes. Bom, bom. The Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition is available now if you just want to go out and buy it. It includes over three hours of bonus content, including a making of, deleted scenes, outtakes from the set, and more. A 44-page booklet with rare photos, storyboards, all kinds of great stuff. To qualify, find our posts on Twitter or go to the post for this episode at HorrorMoviePodcast.com and let us know what your favorite aquatic horror film of all time is. 
And now, this is the end of the show. Well then, do you have any final things you want to say to the peeps there, Wolfman, before we uh, tell them where they can find everybody? Nope, we'll tell them where they can stick it. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> Nope, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. So where can they find you on the interwebs then, Wolfman? You can find me at Icarus Arts on most social media platforms that I guess that I'm on. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not doing the TikToks yet, and I'm not doing the Snapchats. I have Snapchat for the filters because my kids like to look at themselves as weird, whatever <laughs> the weird filter of the week is. So I do have that on my phone. And I have been, I have done a few TikToks with my daughter on hers <laughs> because that's what the kids like to do these days. But uh, no, you can find me on Icarus Arts at Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm, I, I want to be off Facebook. I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. I don't really use it. I'm trying to get off of it, but there are just so many people who are only on Facebook mm-hmm. that I can't get off of it. Yet. So basically, but, so. Fa- Facebook is my Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Then, uh, Dave, where can they find you? My reviews are still out there at dvdinfatuation.com, at dvdinfatuation on Twitter. I am on Facebook and uh, Instagram and uh, Letterboxd. I have my YouTube channel, uh, which I uh, just uploaded my top 10 films of 1974 with the help of my son who actually made it look like a professional video uh, instead of That's me awesome. like just holding my phone. And I didn't even know how to cut. I dropped my phone in one video and I just kept going. So <laughs> it's nice to have some that are a little more professional looking. We mentioned Terror on the Tube earlier, as well as Retro Movie Geek with my compatriots, uh, Daryl and Peter. And uh, a little tease, another horror TV related thing. I am working on a podcast series it'll be a limited series only like 15 or 16 episodes that my good friend Hammond Chamberlain who does uh, Beyond the Playlist and, and and other shows he is fantastic we did another show together called Booth at the End podcast which was based on a Hulu original series that we absolutely loved so there's another show we loved from when we were much much younger and I don't know how many of you out there remember the show but it was called Werewolf the series and it was on a, a fledgling oh, network gosh. at the time called Fox uh, 1987, uh, 88, it was part of their original lineup, and it only lasted like a season. It was like 29 episodes total, I think, uh, with the pilot. So good. It's classic. I'm going to tell you right now, look, it's very 80s. It's It's got the cheese factor heavily, but... There, those. It's basically the Incredible Hulk TV show with a werewolf for starters, and that wolf to me holds up. So it was always my favorite looking werewolf. I think it's awesome. Um, it, it's just it's a very fun, cool show. So the idea is that we are covering uh, two episodes of Werewolf because after the pilot, they're only like twenty something minutes each. So we're doing like two episodes per episode of the podcast. So we've already recorded like the first, I think. F- three four episodes of the podcast so we're we're trying to get them done we're gonna get them like all done at once and then pretty much put them out into the world it's a game plan for now we'll see how that goes but uh, it'll be a limited series it's it's coming down the pike but that is where you could find me we love reading and responding to your comments so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com where you'll find this and all of our past episodes you can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. 
You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. And just as a side note on that, be aware that due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there may be delays in printing and shipping times. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. fight about everything. We can't even agree on Black Lives Matter. That's a controversial statement. Black Lives Matter. Not matters more than you, just matters. <laughs> matters. <laughs> just matters. <laughs> That's where we're starting the negotiations. <laughs> Gays were fighting for equal rights. Equal rights. That, could you believe that's an actual stance you can have? You could be for equal rights? That means there's people out there saying, I think everybody should have the same rights as everyone else. And there's other people like, nah, son, I disagree. <laughs> I just don't think so. All lives matter. Really? Semantics? That would be like if your wife came up to you and was like, do you love me? And you were like, baby, I love everybody. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, here's the thing, here's the thing. I know it's hard being a cop. I know it's hard. I know that shit's dangerous. I know it is, okay? But some jobs can't have bad apples, okay? Some jobs, everybody gotta be good. Like, pilots. <laughs> you know? American Airlines can't be like, you know, most of our pilots like to land. <laughs> we just got a few bad apples that like to crash in the mountains. Please bear with us. So, guys, we're here. We're Frankensteining this thing up. Yes, and, Frankenstein. Oh, sorry, Frankensteining <laughs> this thing up. And uh, so, do we do we want to have any any convo or just jump right into the feature reviews? I don't have anything to say to you guys, frankly. Yeah, I, right. I mean, it's, it, I mean, <laughs> to be to be fair, it's like you know, we we we've recorded so many times here, back to back to back. I mean, is there anything left to say? I don't know. Yeah, not really. Not really. Not really. All right. So no. on that note, let's jump into our first feature review. That was when I discovered the one famous person I, I think I told you guys I'm related to is Rob Lowe, actor Rob Lowe. He's like a fifth cousin, sixth cousin once removed or something like that. And I thought, wow, how many other people, are famous people am I related to? And I'm putting all these people into the database. There was another protest sign that I saw in front of the White House that said, racism is so American that when you protest it, people think you're protesting America. 
look at your neighbor's house and it's on fire, your first reaction should not be, well, what about my house? Was your house on fire? No. Well, okay, well, well, can we address the house that's on fire? Then we can talk about your house after. And I, I just think there's a responsibility for those of us, and I'm not talking about just the two white guys on the microphone with me. I'm talking about myself. Like, there's a responsibility for all of us who aren't black to stand up for our brothers and sisters. I've learned a lot about being an ally during this time because I often struggle with how to be an ally to a group for which I don't belong. And that comes up the most for me with LGBTQ rights because I don't identify that way, yet there are a group of people who I would like to support. There was a lyric from a punk rock song from the 1990s that really stuck with me. That one was about animal rights, that particular song. Um, But there was a line in that song where they said, I've recognized one form of oppression. Now I'll recognize the rest. Because we do have uh, police in our horror community as well. Uh, And I happen to know one of them better than I know the others. He is a legitimate hero. I'm not going to mention him by name because I don't want to share anything he wouldn't want shared he knows who i'm talking about he's a legitimate hero he saved lives and put himself in harm's way to protect the innocent and he's going through very difficult times in his personal life right now two people very close to him i'll just say his mother has cancer and was diagnosed during this time and then he still has to go and handle protesters during the day and i feel for him it's not easy like that that's a terrible situation to be in if you're him to be losing your mom and then have to go and face protesters who literally are saying things like i hope your children are raped in his face you know i mean it's awful i i can't imagine being in the position he's in this isn't about him for me it's sad that it took the george floyd video which was something so horrific that finally even our president had to speak out about it because it was something that people couldn't spin. You know, this was actually the straw that broke the camel's back because there have been so many instances that we see um, of certain, again, bad police officers killing unarmed African-Americans who aren't fighting, who aren't threatening. And the reaction on social media is to immediately start trying to blame the victim. Well, they shouldn't have ran or they shouldn't have resisted arrest. But nowhere is running from a police officer when you're unarmed a license to shoot somebody in the back. But I have yet to see one video of an unarmed white man resisting arrest or running from police who were shot. And if there were a bunch of those cases going on, we'd be hearing about them. And I think that that's what the problem is. Well, I guess it would have been nice if I had prepared for that <laughs> I, I should have, since I told you that was my feature review. <laughs> Uh, one second. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's happening. It's I, it, 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 it was. A, it was. It made sense. He jumped to you, Josh, because I was ready this time. So, <laughs> I think the funniest thing I saw was in Arthur Two when he was talking. Um, he was going up to look at an apartment and had I O lighting, and uh, it was Jack Guilford, I think, was the actor. And he, there's what is I O lighting? And he flicks the switch. Instant on lighting. <laughs> <laughs> instant on so should i then assume we're not going to be doing a franchise review for the curse because there are sequels <laughs> oh are there really there are oh, well, i well, see probably not yeah. a franchise review but let's bring definitely bring them up well if here's we the thing i've seen the- part of curse Two: the bite yowzer that is something buddy Woohoo! <laughs> was will wheaton in the, in the sequel no i do not believe so no no no, <laughs> no. All right. By that point, he was already Wesley Crush. Yes, he was. So he was yes. 
He was they, cr- they he was crushing they afford it. Him anymore. The pretty thing to lose in the house is much more subdued, and I think a lot of horror fans would be disappointed that it doesn't go there. But um, you okay. know, it's it's a great art film. All right, now I got to try and do that for Land of the Creeps. I mean, we've been doing five hour episodes. Over there. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, I did. It, it, Peter told me. I think what was that? The yes. yeah, that one that was uh, the, the Nordic, Nordic horror. The Nordic horror. Yeah. We we covered like almost sixty films. Yeah, it was like six hours long. Yeah, it was a long one. I think he it basically a, said you guys finished and he pretty much rolled out into work. Like he literally just because yeah. he was I, up I'm all night. I'm sure he did. Yes. I'm sure he did because it wasn't, uh, it was, it was morning for him. I mean, it was late night for me, but it was morning for him and yeah. uh, I felt bad for him and uh, I felt bad for all, all of us. I mean, it was, it was great. We covered a lot of, I got to see a lot of great movies and we covered a lot of, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun and it was very educational in a way to, to sort of discover all of these these new nordic horror films i'll be honest i didn't know there were 60 i thought i would have guessed maybe there's 20 tops <laughs> yeah yeah no there i did and you know it's there were we covered a lot I mean, we even got some igmar bergman in there um you know yeah wow. it was something it was it was awesome it was it was a great episode i do want to tell people um we are planning i know we've said this a thousand times and so our word means nothing but we are planning <laughs> on uh posting some new uh, gods and monsters universal monsters cast episodes uh this summer uh covering our season two which would be the invisible man series um season one would have been the mummy if you haven't caught up with those and you like what you're listening to here it's the same three guys plus awesome guests and other folks like liz the bride who's on our Body Snatchers episode, Dark Mark, who's a longtime listener and sometimes guest on the show. Um, they are, we are coming back with a season two of Gods and Monsters. And you can find that now at monsterscast.libson.com. You can hear the first nine episodes of that. I would say you could probably skip the first three since they're all about, <laughs> wow, what do we hope that the new dark universe is going to be like? And that didn't yeah. really turn out <laughs> to be much, yeah. but, um, but episodes, especially five, six and seven and eight and nine episodes yeah. five through nine are, <laughs> right. I think as good as anything we've ever done on horror movie, horror movie podcast. I'm really proud of those episodes. So, Basically, then, Wolfman, what you're saying is that podcast is akin to many shows that we discuss where yeah, it takes a few episodes to get into it, you, you know, to get the characters kind of worked out. And then and then but once they're like on episode five, if you just give it to episode five, I can't tell you my shows I've started. Or something, just give it like the first four or five episodes. They're horrible. But once you get past those, man, it gets so good. <laughs> I say just skip those first. You can skip, skip the first them. three. You don't no even problem. need to watch them. <laughs> No character development necessary. No, yeah, just yeah, screw that. Just jump right to five. Yeah, I honestly, I know we did the show. I I remember the movies we talked about, but I like don't remember anything we talked. I mean, I know we talked about the Dark Universe. You, uh, you should listen to them, Joel. They're really good, man. They're real. Oh, you mean those original ones? Yeah, those sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, look, they were fun. They were fun to discuss, but it was all movie news stuff. Yeah, and so it's just completely irrelevant yeah, now yeah. you know well maybe we but, should we like re-record an intro episode <laughs> where we just say originally there were three episodes that this one's replacing we decided to yeah, just summarize yeah. what we talked about uh, <laughs> the cliff right. notes yeah the cliff notes the cliff notes racism needs your help to survive you may not be in a position to give much to racism but whatever you feel comfortable giving will make a huge difference you don't have to be a full-on racist just being a tiny bit racist is enough A smile, a cheeky giggle, 
even a simple nod in agreement. It all adds up and it gives others the message that it's okay. Frequently asked questions about racism. But I'm not a real racist. Can I still help? Of course. Even if you don't come from a racist background, that's okay. Being a bit racist is super easy. How do I spread the word? You don't actually have to talk people into it. Just be a bit racist and they'll feel the social pressure to follow along. My mum says being a bit racist is bad. Oh, shut up, mum. What's in it for me? Uh, nothing. There's no benefit whatsoever to being racist. But ask yourself, what if everyone stopped giving to racism? What kind of future would that be for our children? If I only give a little bit, will it even make a difference? Not to you, no. But to the people receiving the racism, they'll be getting hundreds of small bits every day, so it will add up. It will be noticed. How do I show my support? You might not want to wear a t-shirt that says how much of a racist you are. No thanks. I'm racist on the inside. But you can laugh at racist comments. It does the same thing. <laughs> Remember, the only thing that can keep racism alive and help it grow is feeding it, nurturing it. And that's where you come in. Will you help it flourish? What will you give to racism? <laughs>